Yeah, I just want to take the credit and say that I called it. I said that the Niners would be this good. I said Christian McCaffrey would be this good. I know, good. and you were definitely the lone voice in the wilderness saying San Francisco <laughs> were going to be good I was saying it the year. loudest. Four quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. Week one is in the books, and it's safe to say there was a couple of surprises. So hey, we got Connor here, we got Ronan. Hello. And we got Sean. Hello. And in the background we have Sean's dog Molly occasionally as well. <laughs> How are we getting on, lads? Any crack? Uh, not too bad. I was up in Cork for a uh, dentist appointment the weekend, saw people. Went to watch some rugby and we had a barbecue at the house that is mine that I'm renting out. So it was a, it was a cool, cool weekend all around. Good to see people and good to see Ireland run up a, an absolutely ridiculous score in the rugby, um, which was uh, it looks good for the World Cup ahead if they can do that. Um, which they, don't, they don't usually rack up scores, so it's, it's, it's a different kind of Ireland team than we're used to, I think. Yeah, I was thinking it was a bit odd that they, they, they pumped up the score that much. Uh, I was actually I was out having breakfast with a mate of mine and uh, he was saying a friend of his was thinking about putting a bet on, on the, I think the the spread was like 60 points or something. And he was like, I'm not going to run it up over 60 points of a difference, are they? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, they did. They were a bit cruel. But um, yeah, no, no, good stuff. How about yourself, Fitz? Well, I think on the, on the rugby thing, I think because technically there's three decent teams in, in Ireland's rugby group, it's like the points could matter if the, you know, the round robin, uh, all three teams hit each other off. Uh, but for myself, yeah, obviously it said Sean was down. Uh, we had a few good drinks, lovely barbecue. Uh, it was obviously perfect weather uh, for the barbecue, so mm. happy out with that. Other than that, busy enough at work, uh, just kind of working through our planning for the next release and doing a bunch of demos for the marketing lads, but uh, things going well overall. Very good, very good. Yeah, fairly quiet enough here. Uh, my wife ran a half marathon on Saturday in like the scorching 25 plus degree heat. Uh, which I don't know how you manage it, but uh, I had a lovely time. I just took the dog for a walk and then <laughs> met my mate for, for breakfast because he's moved in up the road up there. And uh, then I picked her up at the finish line, like burnt red. So <laughs> I had a nice ending and then just obviously watched the, uh, the football on Sunday. Uh, I suppose we'll hop into all the news because there's been quite a bit of news this week uh we'll start off in controversy corner uh las vegas edge rusher chandler jones is currently in a dispute with las vegas and basically the entire relationship is soured with the head coach josh mcdaniels and it's looking likely that he's not going to play for the team uh Jones said that like they sent a crisis team to his home after he posted stuff up on social media about him being locked out of the team facilities and unable to train and having to go down to a local gym. Uh, it all seems a little bit weird and we don't know exactly what's going on, but like either way, this feels like a spot where he's not going to be playing for this Vegas team. Yeah, it's, it's like it's hard to kind of get a full read on the situation because there's so much back and forth and a lot of the statements made by Chandler Jones are like all cap statements on social media. So hardly the best uh, place to find the uh, nuance and detail. Uh, the, my basic understanding of it is that uh, Chandler Jones didn't show up to some days at camp towards the end of camp. Um, obviously, McDaniels engaged in some kind of repercussion and then that led to this all breaking out in the public and uh, Chandler Jones basically does not want to play for Josh McDaniel anymore, um, which seems like a likely outcome. He hasn't been a successful player for them uh, since they picked him as a free agent last offseason. 
Um, so I think the crisis home, like obviously a lot of people are talking about mental health stuff and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm not sure there's enough detail to say this is like a full on like Antonio Brown breakdown type situation, but uh, you know, it is obviously a kind of escalation, which means there could be something of concern there. And obviously if there is, then we obviously hope that gets resolved. But uh, yeah, I think the relationship between the two within this team is pretty much irrevocably broken. I would be surprised to see him come back at this point. Ah, uh, the Raiders. The, there's just, there seems to be just like this core of just really crazy franchises where weird things happen all the time. And the Raiders is one of them. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a sign that they don't have the facilities in place to take care of their players. This kind of stuff seems to happen more than often. And like, this isn't the only instance of this this week. Um, towards the tail end of last week, there was reports out about was it Matt Corral, the backup for the Patriots, just stopped turning up to work, uh, and they didn't know where he was and have put him on was the away from the team list or whatever that designation is as well. And he just he just kind of broke off contact entirely and no one could get him. Uh, I know he had, he, he had talked previously about mental health stuff and depression stuff beforehand, but yeah, just like just a couple of weird bits going on around the league around this stuff at the moment. And just to be honest, they've, they've not exactly a great track record in the NFL of, of uh, dealing with these types of things. So hopefully they're, they're going to be all right, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on, on that uh, situation, but yeah, Vegas in particular, it, just, it does seem like a kind of environment where some people will not, thrive and we've heard this about mcdaniels beforehand not getting on well with players and stuff so like yeah not the uh not the best we'll move on have a look at some transactions that happened around the league uh some people got paid cincinnati quarterback joe burrow becomes the highest paid player in the nfl he signed a five-year 275 million dollar contract with nearly 220 million in guarantees we knew this was coming so not too much of a surprise. Uh, we can also knew who's going to reset the market because pretty much at this level, whenever a new deal gets done, it has to be a bit bigger than the previous one. Uh, this seems like, you know, it makes sense. They want to lock him down. He's their future. Uh, so much for all this talk about, you know, hometown discounts and not needing my money to keep my team around me stuff. But yeah, uh, we'll talk about it when we come to the games. Maybe he didn't have the best showing for the best, highest played player in the NFL. Uh a deal that needed to get done and make sense to lock him into Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, it does. Obviously, he's a huge talent and he's, you know, he's a clutch player and, you know, he's got that Montana vibe of being able to perform when the chips are down, led a team that had no right going to Super Bowl to a Super Bowl and made them a contender, makes them a contender top end of the AFC and probably deserves to be paid for that. But, I mean, I am a little bit surprised maybe because he has talked in the past about wanting to do the Tom Brady thing of you know reducing his own salary in the attempts to keep a good core of people around him and it's not quite clear why that's suddenly changed all of a sudden why he, he thinks he deserves to be paid and I, I would think given the salary cap it, it does make sense beyond a certain level to just try and make sure that you have the best team available around you if you want to win stuff but yeah, to I do like the, I the people the, have different motivations and stuff. Yeah, and like the money, like you you can make up the additional money through sponsorship and all that kind of stuff. Particularly if you're on a winning team, yeah, especially someone like Burrow, who's going to be so marketable over the next decade at least. Like it's mm. yeah, 
It's a and, bit of it's a bit short sighted in that sense. And the thing is, it's it's it kind of it leads the locker room a little bit as well because we're hearing similar noises coming out of the wide receiver room about them all wanting to be top paid as well. So it's very much going to be coming to a crunch time for um, this current Cincinnati iteration. They're going to need to find some cheaper pieces because a lot of these players are young, but that means a lot of these players are not currently getting paid their market value. Yeah, and it's unusual for this organization because Cincinnati have traditionally notoriously been, like, cheap. Yeah, yeah, and of course they even had like literally the whole Carson uh, Palmer situation about a decade ago, where he literally held out for years uh, because they wouldn't like do him right. Uh, so obviously there's been a change in attitude, and I think they realize how bloody lucky they got with Joe Burrow, kind of like how uh, the Colts realized that they got so lucky with Peyton Manning back in the day. And obviously Joe Burrow wanted to be paid at the top of the market, and he's got paid at the top of the market, and based on pure value outside of maybe Mahomes and maybe Josh Allen, um, it's hard to say that it wouldn't be pretty much justified uh, based on his performance relative to where all the other contracts are. You're, you're both right, of course, you know, in the long run, or certainly the medium run, will this mean that the teams put around him will be worse and worse and he'll have to do more and more work to actually become, uh, you know, the kind of top-level quarterback who's going to get them to Super Bowls on a consistent basis? That's definitely a consideration, but look, like, you know, these guys aren't under any obligation to do extra work to keep, uh, you know, the owners happy. Uh, I don't really have any argument with them, you know, getting themselves paid. Uh, but yeah, like from, I suppose you could argue maybe the long term perspective, like what you see from Mahomes or what you saw from Tom Brady back in the day would be smarter than the kind of the issue, the ways that have been done by some of these other guys who got higher paid. But look, the guy got paid. He deserves it. And it's hard to begrudge him that. Oh, yeah. Talking about getting paid, Nick Bosa, who was on a holdout, didn't hold out, played in the game because he got himself the highest non-quarterback money per year in a five-year, $170 million extension with $122 million in guarantees. Uh, he looked worth every penny then when he started playing. So, uh, yeah, like locks down their edge position as well. Uh, the Kansas City lineman holdout, Chris Jones, uh, has had a significantly less successful negotiation. Uh, might have something to do with the terrible, terrible agents that he has at the moment. But uh, instead of getting a record-setting contract, he has restructured his one-year contract that he currently has. It's going to add about $5 million in incentives uh, on top of the base. It was $18.5 million, um, Some of this is obviously just trying to get him back the money that he uh, has lost in fines for non-attendance, which I believe stands at about $2.5 million. And I would... I would imagine this is a setup for them to get to the end of this year and then they can have a negotiation. Jones has a year to find better representation than the Katz brothers who uh, he were just giving him terrible advice. Um, but yeah, so I think it's good to see both these get done. Zipity Jones wasn't done in time for the game on Thursday, but uh, like it's particularly good for San Francisco to lock in Bosa. They've got the cheap quarterback in Purdy at the moment, so they might as well make use of the headroom and, and, and pay their stars. And Nick Bosa is undoubtedly a star. Yeah, like, look, Nick Bosa obviously coming, reigning Defensive Player of the Year. So obviously, you know, that's a testament to the type of quality he's putting out there when on the field uh, for San Francisco since he joined them. Uh, this kind of finally breaks the kind of glass ceiling that Aaron Donald's kind of had there for a couple of years where uh, non-quarterbacks like how do you prove you're more valuable than Aaron Donald and finally with the cap going up and Nick Bosa showing his quality and winning DPOI uh that's finally been broken so you know uh, you know you might see if any other guys have similar like Micah Parsons is an obvious candidate for maybe kind of seeing this type of money or this is a kind of a, a goal to either reach or break when his contract comes up uh, in a year or two um 
But look, Nick Bosa is one of the elite uh, defensive linemen in the league. He makes the San Francisco defense so much more fearsome than when he's not there, although it's not a slight of a defense even without him. And obviously for a team which obviously doesn't have an elite quarterback but has a quarterback who's a good point guard, and as you said, incredibly cheap since he's a seventh-round rookie, um, there's no reason why you wouldn't try to put together the best super team that you can around them. And on both sides of the ball, they are stacked at a talent level, and I imagine that they'll continue to do whatever terms or, or moves are made necessary to continue that trend like they did with cmc's trade last year so keep your talent acquire talent and take as much advantage as you can of this brock purdy window as for chris jones like i think it, it's not it's not getting around the rules per se because of course as you mentioned uh, last week uh, you're obviously not allowed to take away fines anymore for holdouts but obviously restructuring your contract to add a bunch of incentives that may or may not mostly cover uh, what would have been in those fines, plus I presume some sweeteners on top of that. About two million you know, of sweeteners know. on top, yeah. Yeah, and obviously I assume the ones that were kind of filled the fine hole were probably the easiest ones to achieve. Um, so assume Chris Jones has a healthy season or plays most of the season. I imagine also many of these have been pissed. And like, look, I think Chris Jones, as you said, realized where where the chips were and where things were going to fall. And that, like, look, the ultimate prize at the end of the year is that if he gets in the, the year, he's going to get the tag and get a big jump in pay, um, or he's going to read free agency and probably get like a very very generous contract, um, or KC might extend them uh, themselves. Uh, so whatever happens, as long as he's on the season, like obviously he would love to have that security now, but you know it's 19 million plus a bit of the extra money on top. Um, but if he makes it through this year at the, still the same level, except from Chris Jones, the man's going to get paid, and rightfully so. Yeah, uh, I do think the Cats guys we discussed this before, and I've kind of screwed him over though, because it means he'll be a year older again when he gets to kind of get that deal cut and it's going to be harder for him to get the length and, and guarantees as he's looking for at that. But New Orleans also extended offensive lineman Cesar Ruiz, four years, 44 million, keeping him in-house. And actually just seeing, as we were mentioning, uh, incentives there, there was a lovely story uh, from the New York Jets this week of um, their safety, Jordan Whitehead, has hit his incentive for the year in the first game of uh, three interceptions. So he got himself a quarter of a million dollars of a bonus for that in one week, which is uh, phenomenal to see. You love to see it happening. Um, we'll move on, have a look at a couple of injuries. There's been quite a few kind of high uh, profile ones will say no more high profile than the New York Jets uh, four snaps I believe into his tenure as the quarterback Aaron Rodgers injured his Achilles it's ruptured and he's going to be gone for the season uh, the Jets obviously put a lot of stock into Rodgers being what this you know run is going to be based on they brought in a lot of players for him and he's now gone they did win and we will discuss the game in a little bit but this puts a big dampener on the season. They're apparently calling around veteran quarterbacks, trying to bring in some people, but like the quality of quarterbacks that are available are not great. We're talking like Carson Wentz, Joe Flacco, Nick Foles, Colt McCoy, maybe like Matt Ryan, people like that. Like it's not going to be, it's not going to be good. So they better hope that, <laughs> that Wilson has learned a lot under his tutelage. But uh, yeah, this is, this is a big shot for the Jets. Oh, it's, I mean, who would be a Jets fan? Jesus, this is just, I mean, this is, the thing is, it's not even the first time this has happened to this franchise, that they've had star, new star quarterbacks, Levinny Tessaverde comes to mind of going down early as well. It's just, this, this franchise is cursed, like, this is just ridiculous. And it's, the thing is, and we'll discuss it in the game, is that you can see that what we've all thought about this team is true. They literally have every piece in place to be a top-level team, possibly competing for a Super Bowl. All they need is a quarterback, and now they've lost the guy that they brought in uh, to do that. So, uh, 
Yeah, it's oh Jesus, I don't know. I don't know how you get past this moment. And Zach Wilson is not good enough to lead this team. Certainly, he may not even be good enough to be a quarterback in the NFL at this rate. Um, but uh, I would think maybe looking at the options, Matt Ryan maybe safe doesn't do too many crazy things. Obviously, passes peak, but you know he might be the best option. Uh, I've heard they might try and trade for Kyler Murray. That's, uh, these are all getting very speculative. You don't want to get into the Carson Wentz zone, no. um, especially with a team that's going to be you know, competing in a lot of crunch matches when you can't really rely on Wentz down the stretch. But I think they'll have to break, get somebody in because Zach Wilson is not the answer by the, any stretch. This is clearly the perfect spot for Tom Brady to do the funniest thing <laughs> in the world. And just come no, in, take no. Aaron Rodgers' team over a divisional rival and stick it to the Patriots. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, it's going to be tough. It's also, it's, it's interesting, little complications. So with Rodgers' restructure as well, so he restructured, freed up about 30, 35 million uh, from his contract for the team to go out and get players. Uh, but in doing so, I think he's also guaranteed all of the money that's in the contract, which means that they don't really have any route around that. And the one plus, I suppose, is that the uh, compensation going back to the Packers, that becoming a first-round draft pick was contingent on him playing 70% of the snaps. So this does mean at least the Jets, I think, are only giving a second instead of a first back. Yeah, so that's at least some positive. And, of course, they did win the game, and they have a lot of really talented players. But, yeah. Obviously, you know, we have seen enough of Zach Wilson to know that he's not going to accentuate the strengths of that offense uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Of course, like all the hype that's been building for literally months around this, Aaron Rodgers coming on with the, fl- the American flag because it was 9 11. Because we won't get into his history with 9 11 yeah. uh, theories. But, like, you know, it was all building to this moment where all the Jets fans, and we're obviously friends with a. Uh, for example, Richard, who's a big Jets fan, and then to have it just fall apart four snaps in, and then like you literally have people like slow mowing in. It's like you could literally see the moment where his Achilles split apart. Oh god, um, yeah. There's of... far too many slow motion videos of that on Twitter yesterday or yeah. X or whatever it's called these days. But, yeah. And you're just left wondering, like, okay, like you know, the whole thing has fallen apart. Now, obviously, the Lions have week one, so you know that's something at least. But I think. You know, obviously you can go to the veteran market or you can do all that kind of stuff. But like, you know, like in theory, their plan was for Aaron Rodgers to stick around a couple of years. And then Zach Wilson would have matured and do what, you know, say what Jordan Love is doing now for Green Bay, at least in week one. Uh, but, you know, putting him right back in there in the line of fire with all this expectation on his shoulders. And with obviously a week one win like that is going, you know, it just feels like this is a team that's going to cap out of like six to nine wins or something like that. So yeah. it, it is it is not it is not uh, good at all. Um, but look, you know, the Jets, uh, they're, they're a very talented team. So it's not the, like the, the season's not over. But like Super Bowl expectations, like it's very, very hard yeah, to see that. Very, very downgraded. And the Achilles is not normally, it's not one that people can come back early from. Like if they snuck into the playoffs, he might be able to come back. I think it's normally a good six month recovery, isn't it? Yeah, like it's more probable it's the kind of injury, especially his age, that could cause him to retire, even mm-hmm. though that would probably have major financial situations and they'd have to get money back off him and all that kind of stuff, than it is that he comes back by the end of the season. Like yeah. that's just way that injury goes yeah no of course uh baltimore took a couple of knocks as well so <laughs> one second just give me a moment to list these out so running back jk dobbins has also injured his achilles he's gone for the season defensive back marcus williams is torn his pectoral he's 
almost certainly gone for the full season. Tyler Lindenbaum, their offensive lineman, has injured his ankle and he's week to week. Their offensive lineman, Ronnie Staley, has injured his knee and is week to week. And their tight end, Mark Andrews, missed week one with a quad injury. And we currently don't have a status update on him going into week two. So it's a lot of injuries for the Baltimore team. Yeah, it's a bit of a trend for this team. Uh, every year it's like, oh, well, you know, Baltimore, they're a well-coached team. And if everything comes together, you know, we can finally see them reach the top table that we kind of expect them to be because they have a good quarterback and they have a good coach and they have usually a good defense. But then every year it feels like for the last two or three years, it's like, oh, here's all the injuries. And yeah, you're, you're running back who only came back from a major injury last season and still looked kind of a little bit dodgy coming back a little bit early from that now already gone so it's back to the Gus bus and Justice Hill or whoever veteran they pick up Marcus Williams a big free agent signing they made a couple of years ago gone for the season I think he might have also had some injuries last year as well your offensive line which has had loads of sick notes in recent years now you're already dealing with knocks and injuries and even if these guys play will it affect their play on the on the field yeah. and then of course Mark Andrews has already missed a week um, Mark Andrews obviously dominant tight end for multiple years uh, but you saw on the back half of last year his performance just dropped off a off a cliff uh, due yeah. to an injury he was lying around and now you're wondering will he be the Mark Andrews they need like and given that the likely o'clock now yeah and given the new look offense under Todd Monken which they didn't seem to be that comfortable with to be honest in week one i know they beat houston and they put up 25 yeah. points but that it wasn't really it wasn't reflection. convincing yeah like there's a lot of questions around this team now it's only because they're the ravens and a well-run organization with a good coach and they still have lamar that i'm not going to dismiss them completely but yeah this is a lot of hits and very reminiscent of the kind of hits that means that they end up turning into like a, a nine and eight team instead of like a 10 11 kind of playoff hunting team yeah Cleveland offensive tackle Jack Conklin has torn his ACL and he's gone for the season. And Pittsburgh have lost Cam Hayward for at least four weeks and possibly the season with a groin injury. And Deontay Johnson, their wide receiver, is gone for three to six weeks with a hamstring injury. Uh, I'll also mention this was Denver have lost uh, Caden Stearns, the defensive back for the season, and Greg Dulwich for three to six weeks with a hamstring injury as well. Um, yeah, it's not it's not great. Pittsburgh have some depth on that defensive line but it's still Cam Hayward was a big part of their plan so that's going to be a bit of a mess although as we said the we'll probably talk about it or maybe you'll talk about it in the dump off but like their passing game wasn't really firing particularly well so like Deontay Johnson like three to six weeks maybe you're missing 12 catches and 110 yards yeah like look like I wouldn't judge Pittsburgh off how they did against San Francisco whose defense seems to have come into the season uh, ready to knock off every single doubter that, that they ever had and Nick Bosa looked ready to go pretty much straight away uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't go oh well now they just can't pass the ball um, like they were an average passing offense last year they just looked awful against San Francisco uh, Deontay Johnson's like he's not the best wide receiver he's kind of like kind of in that wide receiver one wide receiver two nebulous zone um, but this means more targets probably for guys like George Pickens and for Pat Fryermuth at the tight end uh, but yeah, he's definitely a loss since he's kind of the most reliable possession receiver. And Cam Hayward, just one of those guys who's been a perennial pro bowler year in, year out at the 3-4 defensive end role. Uh, one of the best in the game at doing it. It's not the most sexy position, but he's brilliant at it. And that's a major loss for a defense which didn't quite live up to its reputation against San Francisco outside of TJ Watt, who continues to just like sack for, for fun uh, these days. As for Cleveland, Jack Conklin, like looked like their route to victory is pretty obvious. Run the ball well, create play action, let what now looks like a pretty solid D do its work. Uh, losing your uh, offensive tackle is never a great sign for being able to do those consistent things because you know it means more pressure on people like Deshaun Watson means probably more mistakes from him uh, but we'll have to see how much of a major impact it has 
um, going forward. But he's a guy who's been a pro, pro bowl, all pro guy in the past. So definitely a loss for Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, other bits of injury news. So Cooper Cup, the Rams wide receiver, we mentioned he had hamstring injuries beforehand. Uh, he is gone on IR, so he's gone for a minimum of four weeks with that. Kelsey, the Kansas City tight end, who we mentioned last week, he's a bone bruise rather than a hyper extension. So he's missed week one. He's day to day at the moment, but they're expecting him to be back for week two, but they're not rushing him back at the moment. Uh, Chargers running back Austin Eckler is injured his ankle is week to week. Seattle offensive tackle Charles Cross has turf tone is week to week their other tackle Abe Lucas has injured his knee in his day-to-day and they picked up offensive lineman Jason Peters to fill in the gaps Philadelphia defensive back James Bradbury has a concussion and is expected to week miss two and Nicobe Dean their linebacker has injured his foot and is out for four to six weeks New Orleans defensive lineman Peyton Turner has turf toe so he'll be gone for two to six weeks and Houston defensive back Jalen Petre has a bruised lung and is considered week to week he had a brief hospitalization after the game to get that looked at oh a bruised lung Ugh. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun at all. Uh, in terms of these, obviously, there's there's big losses uh, in terms of the skill position stuff. We saw Kansas City without Travis Kelsey. Well, obviously, we'll talk about it in the, the review. That the offense doesn't quite work without Kelsey as an option, so the sooner he comes back, the better. I imagine the Rams think the same thing about Cooper Cup. But suddenly, they're better than the, we thought they would be, and that means that suddenly Cooper Cup needs to stick around again. And he does seem a tiny bit injury-prone recent years, so that's not a great sign. And Austin Eckler as well. I mean, the Chargers, they seem to be building an offense that has a big run component to it as a way of you know opening up the pass and stuff in this Kellen Moore offense. So he looked a big part of that in week one. So again, it's, it's not a piece you want to to lose all that well so these are all you know these are all teams that want to be competing at the top level and and should be and these are big pieces to be missing from from offenses that need to work a certain way to to click just right yeah and like look like obviously oh it's a big loss for the rams so it didn't stop them this week unfortunately uh kelsey obviously a huge loss for kansas city given what happened as we're talking at the moment in terms of drops just not having someone you whose hands you could trust just made that big huge difference for them in what was a close game Eckler was basically the entire well not I wouldn't say the entire but basically the vast uh proportion of the LA Chargers offense so that's a huge loss if he misses any time and you're relying on Joshua Kelly Seattle as soon as Charles Cross and Abe Lucas went off in the second half you saw Geno Smith being under a lot more pressure he's not a guy in, in his previous tenures who's looked particularly comfortable with pressure that's coming that fast um, so you definitely have concerns there for Seattle and look I think Philly can probably survive uh, a week off from uh, Bradbury and a few weeks from Nicobe Dean but it's obviously still a knock that will make those games a little bit closer than expected um, and then Peyton Turner uh, he's a solid player but it'd be fine and Peter yeah just to say obviously great to hear that he's left hospital it sounds like if he leaves his time it won't be too much time and he's obviously a very i know he plays for houston so no one's heard of him but he is actually a very promising young defensive back so you definitely want to see him on the field doing his thing yeah and uh, other bit of news carl nassib defensive lineman was retired after seven years he was the first openly gay player in the nfl so short enough career for him but um yeah no he kind of the trailblazer stuff so pretty good well, actually, if you look at the median uh, survival time of an NFL player, it's actually uh, above average. But anyway, uh, but yeah, like, look, obviously, it obviously hasn't led to that kind of like some people hope maybe this would lead to a breakthrough and a whole bunch more openness on these type of issues that we've seen in like soccer over in the, this side of the, of the pond that, uh, you know, that isn't necessarily what always happens. 
Uh, but I think that first thing having happened will make it easier uh, for whoever chooses to be the second and third and hopefully uh, many more to, to come uh, in the future in terms of coming out and being uh, comfortable discussing uh, their sexuality uh, within the sphere of being an NFL player. But uh, look, he, he was always a good, solid role player, never like someone who was uh, top of the roster, but someone who was always getting on the field uh, to some extent. And uh, yeah, obviously, he'll probably remember more for his... Uh, if what he's done for LGBT players, uh, Dan, uh, what his performance in the field, but he was a solid player as well. Mm. Fair enough, yeah. Right, will we move over and have a look at the games from week one? So we'll kick off with, uh, I suppose, the one that you know dominates the headlines, Buffalo at the New York Jets, 16-22 uh, to 22 in overtime, a fantastic Gibson walk-off punt return touchdown gives them the win uh it did result in a fantastic video that uh, sean was sending us beforehand of uh, a bar that was offering free drinks if the jets lose and as soon as uh as soon as rogers went down everyone just started running up their tabs thinking this is fantastic and then uh the news was broadcasting live when they won in overtime and everyone suddenly realized they were gonna have to pay their hundreds of dollars in bar tabs um the jets defense were why they were in this game uh, they had three interceptions, a fumble, five sacks, and eight tackles for a loss. And Brees Hall, on his limited number of carries, he only had 10, went for 127 yards. Uh, Wilson did fine, but a little bit kind of underwhelming, 140 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. The catch on that touchdown by uh, Garrett Wilson was phenomenal. If you haven't seen it, go and check out the highlight. But yeah, Allen was messy. 272 yards and a touchdown, three interceptions, and a fumble. Uh, like Diggs got his with 100 yards and a touchdown, but there just wasn't a huge amount happening beyond that. It's hard to read too much into it this is a Jets defense that was excellent last year and looks to be hitting the same heights this year they were all over the place blowing them up in the backfield causing issues and I think in particular it hurt the Buffalo rookie tight end just wasn't really heading the game for this one properly I don't think he was expecting to be that out physicaled by a defense so early on but this was uh, it's a good win for the Jets it gives them something to hang their hat on it's a very rough start for the Buffalo Bills this is the second time that they've now lost uh to Zach Wilson uh they will play again this year and see if they can make it three for but uh yeah Buffalo's offense didn't quite hit the heights we were hoping it to to be reaching they weren't getting enough on the running game they just like they just seemed a little bit frazzled out there and I was, I was intrigued to see how much they were letting Josh Allen do things like run plays as well because like we saw last year that they had to step away from that a little bit for the risk of him getting injured and I get this was a close game and everything but like I would have still been holding back on that a little bit more um yeah I would be I would think that this this sets up the Jets like Sean was talking about in the news section that they are a very, very, very complete team that's missing a quarterback. Uh, but all the other pieces are there. Uh, but for Buffalo, it just looks like they're trying to find their feet a little bit. And Josh Allen, I said in the previews that my concern would be him continuing to regress a bit. And this has not really assuaged that uh, that concern. No, it's... Uh, I mean, it's something that Ronan has actually talked about an awful lot in this part is the... Since Brian Dayball left uh, and went be to become the, the coach head coach of the Giants, the old Josh Allen has started to re slowly re-emerge. The turnover-prone, the making bad decisions Josh Allen seems to be coming out. Uh, and it's 
it just was so on un- what struck me it was just how unnecessary it was in this game like Rogers had gone down injured Zach Wilson was showing himself thoroughly incapable of leading an NFL offense. All the Bills had to do was just take what was given to them for the game. All they really needed was about 20 points, and they were pretty guaranteed to win this game. And yet it's when Allen starts to try and force things or do innovative things, when he starts to go on the run, run pass, or he starts trying these long throws that are 50-50, Sometimes they work and they're spectacular, but sometimes they don't and they end up in interception. It was just how utterly unnecessary it was for him to be throwing downfield in 50-50 balls and stuff like that. So many of the interceptions were just, why did you make that decision? Why did you throw that pass? And it's, they've really, I mean, for the Bills, it's you really, I don't know want to use the word crisis, but you have to consider the last two like competitive games they've played have been the the playoff game against the Bengals where they just didn't show up and this game where they threw away a perfectly winnable game and now they're starting their season 0-1 and you know there's a lot of good teams in their division and they look like all the momentum is gone and it's it's a really tough place I think for the Bills to be now the the defense looks as good as last year the Stefan Diggs connection seems to be working again he seems to be past his issues or at least for a little while um but they just they allowed the Jets to hang around in this game. They didn't kill themselves off offensively because Allen was taking risks that he didn't need to take and was having turnovers. And you have to question the lack of a killer instinct there and the championship mentality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because whatever the Bills need to do to win a Super Bowl, I think this game demonstrates that they don't have it. The, on the on the mental side, they just do not seem to have the ability to just just you know, lock down and win games they should be winning. Like, the Kansas City would have won this game every day of the week. Any Tom Brady team would have won this game any day of the week. Like, like it was... It's just a very, very poor loss from the Bills, and the questions have to be asked. In terms of Jets, yeah, like I said, they... The talent is there's so much talent on this team. The defense is incredible, dynamic, exciting, and the offense has got all these really exciting young skill pieces like Wilson and Brees Hall, and it's just like uh, they're ready to go. This team is ready to go deep in the playoffs. They're ready to win a Super Bowl. But Zach Wilson, I mean, messy is the is the nicest term you could say for what he had. And you can maybe make excuses that he's trying to fit into the system that has been specifically designed for Aaron Rodgers. But honestly, he did not look like an NFL caliber quarterback out there. And they're going to have to find someone else. Um, now, they could build a bit of a run game, I suppose, around uh, Hall and um, Cook as a, as a kind of a kind of very interesting run game combo, but they have to have some sort of reliable, solid QB to to take advantage of the plays out there, especially with people like Garrett Wilson out there who, who need things to be done. The fact that they won, I think you need to put it down to, to a certain extent, to team spirit, uh, this willingness to fight to the end, refuse to give up. They obviously love playing for Salah, and they've obviously got a very good camaraderie thing going on because they fought to the end, and they, they celebrate like mad when they won, and the defense looks super elite, but God, it's, oh, it's... It's going to be a tough season for Jets fans because this team is going to look like it has the potential to go off the charts every week. But more often than not, they're not going to win the game because Zach Wilson isn't good enough. Yeah, and I think for me, like Alan, you know, once you get that big contract, you've got to put your big boy pants on and you need to elevate the talent around you. Because, like, you know, it is true that outside of Stefan Diggs, they don't have that much elite talent in terms of, like, weapons around them. But... That's what happens when you get paid the big money. You need to be able to elevate guys and make them better. That's what Patrick Mahomes has already shown that he can do. And that's why 
everyone, no one has any issue with the amount of money he's getting paid at the moment. Like, if Josh Allen is not capable of doing the smart thing, of taking what the defense has given, I think he's probably been one of the biggest victims of the transition over the last couple of seasons uh, from kind of one high uh, safety defenses to the now two high shell type defenses and the other uh, things, that the other um, adaptions that defenses have made to take away the big pass. You've got to do it the hard way. And Josh Allen can't do that. Josh Allen is very good at making uh, tight window throws, uh, particularly crossing patterns. Uh, but I do think teams have figured that out. And then it's like, okay, now you just need to do the kind of West Coast boring stuff. And again and again, he just always looks like he's getting impatient. He always looks like, oh, geez, I could just, maybe I could just get that big throw to Gabe Davis. Or oh, maybe I could get that big throw to Stefan Diggs. It's like, I'm sorry, Josh, that's just not, everyone is literally building their defenses to allow teams to run, to allow to pass underneath, because uh, they're basically saying no explosives. Like the analytics said, no more explosives. And you are failing to adapt. And maybe, as Sean says, that's because Brian Dayball isn't there to kind of, you know, mastermind this offense. And it's, you know, Ken Dorsey, who to be a quarterbacks coach for them he's just a little bit out of his depth and that just means that Allen is just left to do everything himself and you saw in this game already Allen having to rely on his scrambling ability to make anything happen and outside of digs like no one was really doing anything. like James Cook looks better than Devin Singletary did last year but that's not really saying much let's be frank um so for this team major concerns there on the offense and the defense while it wasn't the problem here against Zach Wilson you, you probably expect to do more now maybe that's a you know maybe the, the that, that's a testament to you know uh Salah and, and the coaching staff making sure he doesn't make any dumb mistakes and just you know play as safe as possible but it's Zach fucking Wilson like you should be able to destroy this fucker like I know you only allowed him score you know uh, 22 points overall and you held him to field goals and stuff but still and you know like you just stop Brees Hall like what the hell is Zach Wilson going to do to you like the only thing Zach Wilson is good for is making his wide receivers do spectacular catches like Garrett Wilson had to do to score the touchdown uh, that got them uh, ahead in this game late and then led to overtime. Um, like that's all he's good for. He's a terrible, terrible quarterback. Maybe he'll uh, show some growth, but the amount of growing he needs to do to become even an average quarterback in this league is, is huge. Uh, so I think for the Bills, like, I wouldn't panic because they've had these kind of down games before. They've come back, I think a couple of seasons ago where they were very poor for the first half of the season and then they grew into the season and they, they were pretty solid towards the end. But yeah, for a team which is obviously multiple years older, it's no longer a young, up-and-coming team like the Jets are they're a young and upcoming team with lots of young talent throughout their roster um you know this, their moment was now uh, but it might feel like the now is now in the past and that must be a major concern but for the Jets yeah like look as I said six to nine wins feels like the cap for a team with Zach Wilson I'm sure they're going to bring in a veteran to see what they can do uh, but Zach Wilson will give him, he'll be given yet another chance to prove that he can do anything in the NFL I'm sure they'll be as safe and cookie cutter as they can board be for him so you know you get another chance Zach Wilson let's see what you do but uh, yeah early estimations and early indications are not uh, incredibly positive but like given the quality of this defensive line which is just ridiculous with the amount of pass rushers that they have and obviously have Quinn, and Millions, Quinn Williams in the middle as well like that's going to keep them in lots of games. That's just not going to be in the fun, interesting way that we were hoping for when Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback of this team. Next up, we have Thursday Night Football, Detroit at Kansas City, 21-20. to uh, Detroit survive a late run with a, kind of a strong performance from their O-line, uh, some nice little takeaways from their defense. It was a pretty decent job overall from them. Uh, Goff went for 253 yards and a touchdown. The defense got a defensive score off a of Tony bobble and throw up into the air it was uh it was a quite an entertaining match well played on both sides of the ball uh kansas city 
struggled a bit on offense. So Mahomes had 226 yards, two touchdowns and interception. But that was kind of wringing every drop that he could out of a collection of receivers that just didn't look quite prepared for week one. Obviously, the lack of Kelsey being there changed up some of their plans and it was kind of visible on screen. One point that I was messaging you guys about when I was watching the game was just the offensive line stuff was bizarre so the right tackle was lining up in an illegal position for most of the game i've also noticed now having watched through the weekend that this happened in a number of other games and i don't know if it's just that they know the refs aren't calling it at the moment so i would expect this to change relatively quickly but essentially he was lining a good foot or two back from where he should be they're meant to be in line with the waistband of the center so he had an extra step on the rushers coming around the outside the whole time uh the big problem was that then once they got into the second half he just started entirely keying on whether it was a run or a pass play depending on whether he was three foot back from the line or not uh, which was a bit of a messy one but the Chiefs defense looked pretty good they had a couple of misses here and there but overall very solid they held the Detroit offense to 14 points which I think is a, is a decent showing but unfortunately Tony I think he caught one of six targets for a couple of yards dropped four of them and bobbled one up into the air and caused an interception it was uh it was messy uh we didn't see a lot out of a lot of the other ones where she rice did an all right job but wasn't really asked to do too much he had a touchdown which is nice to see out of him and Justin Ross had his first catch in the NFL but they didn't really use him a huge amount in the game Detroit looked good if a little bit confusing at times on offense so they did some fun special teams bits early on in the game on their own 17 they decided to uh, fake punt and got the first down which was a very ballsy move and very fun to see very confusing that then later on the game went on the Kansas City 38 I think it was they decided to punt it back to Kansas City instead of go for it which was a bit surprising Uh, one thing that I would like to see out of Detroit going forward is they used Montgomery a lot and they used Gibbs sparingly. And you could see at times that there was a problem with Gibbs maybe not knowing what his blocking was in the back. He was often slightly out of line to, to miss the first tackle. But if he got past the first tackle, like his top end speed is far in excess of that of Montgomery's. So if they can work him in a little bit more and give him a few more carries, uh, I think you'd see a far more exciting element in this run game as well. So that'll be something I'd be looking forward to in in, in future games from Detroit. But overall, a solid start from Detroit. They are going to feel happy. Got a nice scalp to kick off the season. For Kansas City, a little bit deflating, but they were down Chris Jones and down Travis Kelsey, and their defense still looked pretty decent, and their offense, I I think they'll figure it out. I trust in Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes to get stuff back together, and Kelsey will be coming back, so hopefully they'll be able to get it uh, back on the road next week. But, yeah, overall, an entertaining game if not quite the shootout we were expecting. Yeah, and I would definitely agree with you on the Jameer Gibbs situation. Like, I I kind of understand why they want consistency, but especially since Jameson Williams is going to be missing for the first part of the season, they are definitely missing that kind of explosive element. So many good things on that offense. Amon Ra's great. Jared Goff's playing really well these days. The offensive line is elite, the best or second best in the league. Um, and that just makes things so much easier for all the other things. But they do just do lack that kind of, you know, home run capacity. And it feels like Gibbs, uh, as he grows into the season, could add that spice uh, to the offense. And then Jameson Williams might come back. And even though, you know, there's questions over him staying healthy and not doing stupid stuff, he is incredibly fast, even in the cameos he made last year, uh, which could, and given the kind of success of play action in this offense, because, uh, you know, given the strength of the running game and golf being really comfortable under center, 
um those things all work it's just the kind of like situation like yo, all these things worked but yet it was still like a one point win uh, for detroit and that's the span despite the fact that kansas city as you said were missing chris jones their best defensive player they were missing travis kelsey their second best offensive player you know outside of you know patrick mahomes and yet still you know they still i think overall kansas city still looked like the better team to me slightly not just slightly but given all those handicaps you know that's still pretty goddamn impressive and you definitely saw that mahomes as you said was having to work really hard lots more of his scrambling in the pocket moving to the pocket getting outside the pocket uh throwing balls in the run that he necessarily had to do a lot of last year because obviously they tried to create a system where there were more quick throws and stuff but he just you know he had good reason not to trust his guys but even at the very end like the last drive that ended in downs for kansas city you know it was like fourth and 25 and he still threw a perfectly catchable ball for was it like justin ross or something like that and the uh, guy no just i think it was dropped... sky Moore that dropped it oh it's sky Moore. yeah sky Moore just dropped the ball and you're like, i think had one target in the game yeah it's like the guy just dropped the ball and it's like if you just had someone who had decent hands who just weren't having butterfingers all night, those are the type of plays that were just beyond them. And of course, as you said, the pick six was because Kadarius Coney let the ball ricochet off his hand. It's just like, look, when all these things go against you and you only still lose against one point against a team that does look very effective, they're not, I don't think Detroit are quite in that elite status, like with the Kansas City Chiefs, but I think they're certainly at the top level in terms of the NFC, which is quite weak, um, and maybe just below the Eagles. Like, and they are a very good team. And I think they're going to get better as the year go on. So I think... N- you know, if I have concerns over Buffalo, I don't really have concerns over Kansas City, especially once Kelsey and uh, Chris Jones come back. Uh, but yeah, hopefully the, the the wide receivers will be going for a lot of catching drills this year, this week probably, <laughs> um, and uh, hopefully they will learn the lesson very fast. Obviously, they'll be in a lot less uh, pressurized situations than the you know the season opener going forward. And like I trust that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and and, uh, and Nagy will do the work to get those wide receivers up to an acceptable level uh, going forward, or they'll bring in guys young guys and let them have chances to do the same um so yeah nothing really worried about for kansas city for me just a really hard fought classic grind and pound game from detroit and they just about eked it at the end um and survived patrick Mahomes, which you know i think any team would be very happy to get away with but yeah detroit good team uh i'm not sure if they're great yet but the, all the ingredients are there for the continue to get better and better as the season goes on yeah the, the lions are I, I think they're everything we kind of hoped they would be they're a young they're exciting, but they're also like a little bit flawed, so they're fun to root for because you don't know if they're actually going to go out and win these games. And and they sometimes look a bit, uh, you know, have deficiencies that are that are obvious, and other times they look amazing. They're a team that's capable of beating the Chiefs, but also you could see them maybe dropping a game or two to someone like the Bears or something later in the season. Um, I I mean, offensively, I think they've, they, they're developing an interesting balance of run and pass, the way they, they're using their run. And I think once they figure out the Gibbs-Montgomery thing, I think there's a nice one-two punch there. But they're using the run to kind of move the safeties around so they can set up the pass. And it seems to be some clever stuff going on there, although they are a little bit over-reliant on Amon Ra at the moment. They maybe need to expand that outwards. Um, there, there, there's... Yeah, there, there's some work to be done there. Uh, so offensively, I don't think they're qu- quite where they need to be. Although I, I mean, I love the, you know the the ex- the excitement that they bring, and I love the intensity and passion of, of Dan Campbell and his willingness to take risks uh, in, in in tough spots. Uh, defensively, I uh, and obviously the O line is as as Ronan said is is really impressive. They definitely they this game was won in the trenches because the O line was never going to give up defensively. I, I just love watching them. I, Aiden Hutchinson is, 
you know, he's turning into such an exciting player. He, he absolutely had Jawan Taylor's number, even though Jawan Taylor was trying to cheat, even though he was giving himself these, these steps uh, of, of advantage. Still, Hutchinson was getting uh, uh, through him and around him to, to challenge Mahomes um, and definitely was, was a part of a really exciting defensive pressure scheme that's really started to pay off in the second half when, when Mahomes suddenly didn't have the time that he used to have and suddenly he had to rely on his receivers doing things and they didn't turn up to be good enough. And also they've added some extra pieces in the secondary like Gardner Johnson who, who had some interesting uh, things to do, who did some interesting things uh, as well. So I think that the Lions are going to be really exciting to watch this year, and I, I still think they're, they're going to be around a 10-win team. I think they'll possibly win the division. I don't know. The Packers look a lot better than we thought they would be, so who knows, but they're going to be there, thereabouts, and they're going to be fun to watch every week because you never know. They're, they're, you never know if they're going to turn up and play 100%, uh, because even in this game, there are times they looked a bit meh, but then at other times they look like the most exciting team in the NFL. For Kansas City, uh, it's so obvious that without Travis Kelsey, the, the offense just doesn't quite click quite as much. They lose all the like short and medium routes, it seems, or Mahomes loses, or he doesn't have the receivers to throw to, and therefore he has to take more risks down, down the field. But certainly it felt like he was throwing more long and a lot fewer short, and maybe that affected them. Uh, down the stretch in terms of, uh, of what they were trying to do in the second half. The uh, offensive productivity just collapsed in the fourth quarter, and obviously they've got to ask questions um, about that. Kadarius Tony should probably be shot or something. I, I can't imagine uh, Andy Reid's going to trust him very much after that. On the defensive side, yeah, solid. Obviously, they'll get, they'll get better when they add in Chris Jones. And every time I see Trent McDuffie, I get madder and madder that the Pats didn't draft him like <laughs> I told him to because he looks like a, a real prospect for for, uh, for, for the for Casey on that side of it. So, yeah, Kansas City, jury's still out. I think they'll probably still be quite good. Obviously, with Mahomes, you're, you're always going to be competitive. And when Kelsey comes back, that offense will click back into gear. And Detroit... Oh, I just, got, I just love going to get watch this team 16 more times because it's going to be so much fun. It's going to be more than 16 times, man. I've got them all the way to the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, next up. Oh, yeah, we... I'm going to love this rematch in the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah it'd be great. Top and Taylor. Right now. Uh, Miami at Chargers. We said you wanted a fun, dumb shootout. You got a fun, dumb shootout. 36 to 34. And the final drive for the Chargers peters out with sacks and flags flying everywhere. Tua went for 466 yards, three touchdowns, an interception and a fumble. Uh, a lot of this went through Hill, who had over 200 yards and two touchdowns. And this Chargers defense just didn't really have a response. Herbert got basically half the yardage of uh, of two, uh, 228 with two touchdowns but they had a bit more on the ground game Eckler had 164 and a touchdown but he did get injured later on in the game bringing in Kelly for a lot more um, uh, the Miami defense like made plays when it mattered at the end and that was kind of what sealed it up for them but this was like this was just constantly back and forth like these are these are two teams that look like they're going to have to be putting up points of this scale to win games because their defenses do not look like they are fit for stopping anyone. Um, Tua looked a little bit better than I was expecting him to do. He still was under throwing a couple of routes in that, but like, you know, he, he's definitely gotten a little bit better and more on, more on the page with the receivers as to where he's meant to be putting the ball. There's a lot less coming all the way back. There's still a good bit of slowing up, but it's uh, it's definitely gotten better. I'd like to see, now I know Miami are struggling a little bit with, with uh, injuries at the running back position, but I'd like to see a little bit more on the ground out of them. Like, con- like having to put a 466 yards in the air is not, necessarily the most sustainable model to be uh, to be going at a season with uh from the chargers side 
they looked efficient. Uh, they 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 were really. I think you mentioned in the preview, Sean, that like they do seem to be kind of targeting establish the run, build a pass off the run kind of thing in it. And it's it's interesting. I don't know if maybe the Eckler injury changed up how they wanted to approach it at the back end and they were kind of going, they were trying to build it towards a bit of a, a turn up, like a Rocky swapping to I'm actually left-handed in the in the match kind of thing to kind of surprise him at the end. But uh, it uh, it was not quite enough for, 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 for an offense to put up 34 points. It wasn't quite exciting enough for me. I, I'd like to see more of what they're trying to do uh, with this philosophically. But, you know, Miami made the plays when it mattered. They got the win on the road. Uh, yeah, like it was it was a good job. And we're going to talk about probably two of the other teams, I think, that are in that division. We've already talked about... Actually, no, we're going to talk about all the teams in that division in the previews today that is a division that is definitely up for grabs at the moment and miami have squarely put themselves in the driver's seat for it i'll be intrigued to see how they play i think is it this week they're playing new england i'll be intrigued to see what they do against a better defense that knows what they're scheming against a little bit more but um yeah look it's a good win for them in what was quite a fun if a little bit sloppy at times game yeah certainly the dolphins if you take just week one as a standalone, they probably look best place to win the AFC East, um, unless the Bills get back some of their mojo, and certainly the Jets, uh, you know, they're not going to unless they get in a, a good quarterback. Um, it, But it is very much the offense just works, and we don't ask too many questions about the defense, certainly not until they get their, their pieces back from injury. I mean, it's the good parts of the offense are very good. The offensive line really solid job Tua wasn't sacked once he had the time to do things and Tua with time as we saw he can he can do some nice things um it's still very hill waddle heavy especially like hill was a big part of this game but also waddle took him at some yards as well they they maybe need to move it up a bit more the, the run game at Mostert, there was a little bit of stuff going on there maybe need to build off of that i'm not entirely sure that as you say that Tua isn't still under throwing quite badly but now he has the receivers to bail him out and that works for them i guess i mean it's it's certainly not an offense i'd want to face because when they and i do i agree with you connor i think they are getting better at knowing each other uh i, I certainly think that offense is, is getting more coherent as time goes on and, and therefore more dangerous and i wouldn't want to play them but i wonder if we're gonna have the same problem as they had last year is once teams figure out what they're doing they don't necessarily have that plan B, and I certainly think you need some sort of plan B if you want to go if you want to go deep in the playoffs uh, or the such like. But the Dolphins, you know, definitely that they look like they're going to be up there in terms of the AFC East. For the Chargers, they, I don't know, they look they look somehow better than last year, but also worse. Uh, the Callan Moore offense, I'm liking it. Obviously, they're still very much in the formation phase, but he's bringing a lot more of the run game uh, with Eckler trying to open up the, the, the field a bit more and therefore pushing Herbert to throw longer, which is exactly what he should be been doing the whole time. So I think that offense, once they really get into gear, they're going to look quite good. Um, but they have this horrible, 
horrible habit of losing shootouts. They they get into these games so many times, and I don't think they ever win them. They always seem to be losing games 36-34, and this certainly feels like the one uh, that got away. And for that, you have to look at the defensive side of it, because it actually feels that this defense has somehow gotten worse. Because it's interesting to think about this Chargers defense actually did quite well against Miami last year. They kept Tua quiet, they kept Hill mostly quiet, and, and they looked quite uh, decent in doing that. And even though the Dolphins haven't gotten all that much better, suddenly they, the Chargers defense looks so much worse against them. And definitely Brandon Staley is, as opposed to defensive mastermind, has to take some of the blame um, for that. There's some individual errors. I mean, J.C. Jackson, who is supposed... I mean, he, he's a really good cornerback, but he had an entirely unnecessary pass interference. And then he kind of... He, even though he picked off an interception in the end zone, he didn't kneel for the touchback and tried to run it out, so they poor field position. And it's, it's shit like that that is the reason the Chargers charge, is that they just... When it comes to execution of their play they seem to have a lot of they look very good on paper but as soon as it comes to execute it something always goes wrong and it kind of feels like it's going to be another another charger season when something always goes wrong so even though it's only two points separating these two teams i feel a lot more positive about the dolphins going forward than i do the Chargers because it just feels like the Chargers are going to disappoint us again that they're always going to be the team that could have been uh, but never was and justin herbert is just going to end up like philip rivers mark ii yeah like a shootout is less of a problem for a team who's coached by like a young offensive genius in his second year, getting his like quarterback who he's turned his entire career around and just blowing them out. And you have a new defensive corner, Vic Fangio, who obviously gave up a shit ton of yards in this game, like over 400 yards, but uh, showed up when it mattered at the end and his playmakers made the, the big plays and they, they made mincemeat of Herbert at the last, uh, when it mattered at the end. Whereas if you're a team that's led by a coach who's, you know, a defensive coordinator background, who had the best defense in the league with the Rams, but yet has put up shit defenses for what, three years now? That's a bit more of an issue. Like that's supposed yeah. to be your wheelhouse and it's still not working. And it, he's all, he also just, he just looks deflated. He just like, you know, in, at least when he came in initially, it's like, oh, let's go up for fourth down all the time. That's all disappeared now. He's just another, he's just a mediocre coach. And look, Kellen Moore, I think has definitely made the offense back to being somewhat readable, but what kind of idiot hired Joe Lombardi in the first place to ruin Justin Herbert for a year or for a year or so? Like, bloody Brandon Staley, I presume, was, in, was at least somewhat responsible for that position. Um, and you, okay, so now you finally get Herbert back on track and you finally get a bit more of the explosiveness, even if it's basically just Eckler doing most of the work. But it's just like this Chargers team, like, state, like you know, the Chargers team is on a different level. It's in the, the complete bumblefuck. Uh, you know stratus of teams in the nfl it takes a certain type of coach to turn that shit around and stop making your team a goddamn joke and he got them to the playoffs last year and yet still he managed to have that epic collapse against jacksonville to basically undo nearly all of that goodwill in one swift go so look maybe staley is a good coach and it's just that the curse of the chargers means that he will never quite reach the level he needs to to make this team feel good but you know, the, the trend line just doesn't feel good to me. They always feel like they'll be second fiddle to Kansas City. And it always feels that when, it, it, as Sean says, the chips are down, they're going to do charging. Like Miami, I don't know how sustainable the whole just like chuck it deep and have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle do all the work for you stuff is. And we'll see how long Tua stays healthy, um, assuming Terran Harmstead stays healthy in the left tackle position. But at least they know what they're doing. And I'm Mike McDaniel. They have a guy, you know, that's my job. I'm the offense, Vic Fangio, sort of like this defense over the rest of the year. So at least they have a trajectory, uh, you know, in the second year 
we're much further into the Chargers project and it just feels like it's going off the rails. Uh, you know, the game was fun and dumb, just as I expected when I had it, my pick of the week. Um, but for the Chargers fans, you know, like if, if your expectation is making the playoffs every year, this is probably good enough to get you there. But if you ever think the Chargers will ever win a Super Bowl, I don't know what's going to happen with this, with this outfit right now. No. Uh, Philadelphia and New England, 25-20. to 20. This game ended up a lot closer than we were expecting. Uh, Sterling in the game, Philly were beating that ass. Uh, 16 to nothing in the first quarter. Uh, and then the rain started coming down harder and it got a little bit more tight and tight, tight. Hertz at 207 yards, a touchdown, the fumble. Uh, Belichick's defense kind of was bringing pressure, surprising them a good bit. Judon had a great game. Uh, then we saw on the other side of the ball the Big Mac attack. Now they are free from the shackles of the bearded moron, we'll just say. Uh, 316 yards, three touchdowns and interception. It was not a bad performance. He had a couple of bad decisions here and there, and he did start with a bad, with a bad pick six. Uh, we also saw Zeke Elliott, for some reason, getting a lot of snaps. Uh, I don't know why. He's clearly not the better choice here, but the run game wasn't really going at all for New England in this one. Uh, Zeke had a fumble, but yeah, it was just, it was a little bit sloppy, but New England showed quite a lot of grit to be staying in this game. Their defense showed up fantastically well. Um, Philly were a little... I. I don't want to say slow out of the blocks because obviously they went up 16 nothing at the start, but then they just slowed down and they didn't really get stuff going the way they wanted to. I always wonder if it's just, you know, Belichick's defensive strategy coming into place and working exactly how he wanted it to, and he just needed a quarter to get the guys up to speed and running it properly, um, or whether Philly kind of took their eye off the ball or maybe their game plan was not really rainproof or something but it did it did feel like a big difference like if you think that's nine points for them in three quarters of football uh and new england were knocking at the door and had a chance to win it at the end it was uh sloppy probably better from new england than i was expecting i thought this was going to be a much more one-sided affair to be honest going into it from philly's side i saw a good bit of pressure from the defense here and there but not really getting home to the extent that they wanted and not causing as much disruption um like if it wasn't for self-imposed mistakes like new england very much could have won this game and yeah i don't want to read too much into it but it doesn't feel phenomenal for Philadelphia and it also doesn't feel like a coffin nail for New England. Um, this definitely feels like a New England team that's starting off on a better foot than I would have expected coming into the preseason. Yeah, it's oh, it's the hope, the hope, it's the hope that kills you in the end. Uh, I was kind of getting used to the past just being crap and now you watch them and you're like, oh no, there's potential here and they could develop it as the year goes on and I'm going to get attached to this team and they're going to win nine games and they're going to be the seventh seed in the playoffs and they will play well for three quarters of the wildcard game and then lose or something like this just feels like a team that is is just gonna uh, uh, reel you in just to just to break your heart uh the defense looks really strong it's 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 a, just another belichick you know masterpiece that they, and they're definitely gonna be central to any hopes the pats have for success um, they managed to restrict what is a high-octane offense, albeit not one playing at full tilt, to basically just one short field touchdown all game that they had a touchdown off the Zeke Elliott mistake, and otherwise they, the Philly offense restricted just field goals. It's a really good sign. As you said, Judon had a great game. I loved Christian Gonzalez at 
at cornerback. He's obviously his first, very first game, so it wasn't perfect, but he was definitely, you know, holding his own against AJ Brown, and he was he was in the fight, and he was he was doing some very interesting things. Um, so defensively, they look ready to go, and I and I think they will be what we always expect about Chicks Pats team to be. It's really strong defensively. The real question about the Pats is how good they're going to be offensively, and I guess the answer is they're probably a little bit better than last year not enough better they obviously they started off with some terrible unforced errors and they dug themselves into a hole and they dig them, they spent the rest of the game trying to dig themselves out of the hole and, and you don't know which side of the judge do you judge the the offense that made such a mess of things early on or to judge the offense that once they got clicking seemed to have something going on with them mac jones was definitely better than i thought he would be what we're he's expanding i think as as a player and as a talent, I definitely think he's getting better. He as exp- as he gets more experience, he, you can see the way he's expanding his reading game. His range of throws are getting slightly bigger every time he goes out there. It's all this kind of feels like what second year Mac Jones should have been. As in, this feels like if you completely erase last year from the oh, memory, yeah. he, he only had rookie Mac year, Jones. Like... And you only had rookie Mac Jones to go by. You'd be like, oh yeah, Mac Jones is developing. This is good. But it, it, it's, it's kind of a weird headspace to get in to see this as being, you know, just you know, trying to forget about the horror that was last year. The biggest problem the Pats have offensively, though, is, I, is that the receiving core is just not good enough. Like, when Hunter Henry is the only one out there who looks decent, and when you're praying, you know, for the day that Devontae Parker comes back, it, it's not a good place to be. <laughs> not a good place to be when your dif- divisional rivals have people like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell or, or um, uh, Garrett uh, Wilson, Will Garrett Stephon Wilson Diggs. at the Jets or <laughs> Stephon Diggs. Like, the Pats are competing in terms of the passing game against teams that are a lot better than them. And that's, I think, going to be the problem down the line, is that no matter how good Mac Jones gets the number how strong this defense is ultimately this offense is just not going to score an awful lot of points uh, as they as games go on um in terms of the eagles very hard to tell from week one if if they're quite going to be as good as they were last year it's hard to tell if the offense has taken a step back and if this is maybe a the change in offensive coordinator means that this new system that's to bet in and they're not quite sure how the pieces worked or this is just a Belichick Pats defense to push them harder but certainly they seem to have to work a lot harder for points than they did last year I'm interested to see if that's a sign of things to come or just or just week one against the Pats and, and you can write it off I just, I'm not quite sure what they're doing with the running game it's very strange that they brought in these new running backs Rashad Penny was a was a healthy scratch DeAndre Swift had I think one run for three yards they seem to be leaning very heavily towards Kenneth Gainwell which is great for my fantasy team because I picked him up but I don't know it's a very good idea for the Eagles as a as an offensive unit so offensively jury's still out a little bit they obviously still have a lot of the talent there and they're still trying to figure out how to make it work. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Defensively, I think they're maybe a little bit weaker. They seem to be weak. They seem to have strong, a strong line and strong secondary. But the bit in the middle, the linebacker and the safety, the kind of middle bit of the defense, both in terms of the depth and width, seems to be quite weak. And eventually the Pats were starting to exploit that as goes on. So I don't know if the Eagles are quite the complete package they were last year. But it's still quite good, and I think they're going to be competitive, albeit they're probably facing a Cowboys side, as we talk about, who were a lot better than last year. So maybe the division isn't going to be as wrapped up as we thought. But yeah, maybe not too soon to tell about how good the Eagles are going to be, but certainly the Pats, they look like just going to frustrate me all year long. Um, winning games they shouldn't, and losing games that they could win, and oh yeah, it's just going to be, it's just going to be heartbreaker.
Yeah. Don't, don't forget, Sean, that you picked Gainwell as your breakout player of the year. So that's been good. I did. Although, I did. I did. He, he is also already injured. So I don't know if the lurgy from Penny and Swift is already spreading to the, the usually healthy guys already. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll hope for your uh, pick, Sean, uh, going forward. Yeah. Next up, Cincinnati at Cleveland, 3-24. to 24. Uh, This was one-sided the whole way. Uh, the dog pound were into light in the rain as... The Cleveland defense absolutely destroyed them. Two sacks, four tackles for a loss, held them to about 150 yards. Just Garrett wrecking shop and everyone up front doing the business. If you saw the video doing the rounds online from, uh, I think it's the end of the first quarter, start of the second quarter, where Garrett is actually just doing practice uh, swim moves in front and say, I'm going to try this side this time and just getting straight on through. Burrow, having just been made the most expensive player in the league, had 82 yards and was unable to do anything and was benched in the fourth quarter. Uh, the running game was doing nothing. The offensive line was looking terrible. Um, their new pickup, Orlando Brown, acting as a turnstile on the left-hand side, so not great. Uh, Watson was fine, 199 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. It was Chubb that was doing the job. He had over 100 yards on the ground a shout out to all of our peeps in the wool shed for taking it correctly there was a bunch of brides fans there and anytime watson did anything we booed the living fucking shit out of them <laughs> the entire place it was great a friend of ours was with us and thought that the booing was going to cause a fight and then the entire place started booing them so uh shout out to them this was terrible from cincinnati although they do a form in starting slow in a season so hopefully they'll figure it out um just they weren't able to get anything going and while this is a good particularly front line from cleveland it's not exactly what i would it's not what i would consider kind of a top five defense i don't think so this is quite concerning um it also continues the trend of cincinnati players talking shit and then getting punched in the mouth uh, with a load of them now having to go back and eat their words about, you know, making fun of the Cleveland Browns elf that was on the midfield and so on. Uh, from Cleveland's side, this is a great start, taking out the Bengals, a divisional rival at home in the opening game. This, you know, sets them up to kind of what they've been talking about in the offseason of being, well, all we need is Watson to turn it around and then we're fine. We've got a good run game. We've got a good defense. They looked solid if... Like, not exactly terrifying. I'd love to have seen them against a team that was competitive because Cincinnati were not in the slightest bit competitive in this game. Uh, so I'll be very intrigued to see what they look like going forward. But yeah, like, Chubb doesn't look like he's lost a step at all. Garrett looks like he is on wrecking ball mode at the moment. Uh, so very tasty. For Cincinnati, I'd be concerned. I wouldn't be, you know, fleeing taking off your jerseys just yet but uh this was a very rough start yeah i'd be reluctant to draw too many lessons from this game this game took part in a basically a rainstorm lots of rain lots of wind lots of passes from both burrow and watson were going way off target from where you would expect uh so in those types of conditions that's obviously a great equalizer and it tends to help defenses a lot uh, particularly this new look defense which does look tasty jim schwartz obviously brought in his new dc and jim schwartz despite the the, the kind of zigging it's the zag of the rest of the league he's brought a little bit of the more modern concepts in but what you definitely see is those jim schwartz fingerprints where it's all about you doing things not you reacting to things and the big nfl thing right now is being reactive like plugging up 
uh, plugging up gaps in the offensive line and stuff like that and just kind of preventing the other team from doing something Schwartz is like no I want my guys out there to make explosive plays and to do big things I want my defensive backs to be all over their wide receivers making their life hell and certainly you know T Higgins getting like literally the, the donut uh, in the game and Jamar Chase being held to less than 40 yards gives a sense that in these type of conditions it definitely worked will it work in better conditions going forward we'll see but it's certainly a fun way to get things started of course we know when momentum builds up and that the guys buy into the defense and the whole thing gets a lot better and when you have miles garrett you know you know the obvious question might be well what what, what if we get just another like good edge rusher and maybe miles garrett be better and so it came to be so they obviously uh, signed Darius smith in the offseason they signed a Crow in the offseason as well and just looked at those guys and like i think there was weird things where they're playing miles garrett in, inside a linebacker effectively so he was just kind of doing surprise blitzes occasionally and he's so athletic he could also do some of the basic coverage stuff so it's really interesting and fun but you know this was a situation with a defense at a natural advantage so we'll see how much more that matters um as we go forward if people can figure it out burrow like in this situation was basically just completely boned uh the run game is definitely still an issue with mixon he just not the explosive player he was a few years ago and burrow with unable to kind of get those kind of quick passes out there reliably to his playmakers he was kind of trying some of the deep stuff and it just was not coming off in those conditions so i'm not ready to panic right yet but obviously given that he missed all of preseason and the offensive line as you said seems a little bit more turnstile than you would like given the investments they've made uh there's definitely reason to be concerned but i wouldn't panic yet you know i'm not full on ori lax but i'm not full panic either as for deshaun watson he still continues to be vastly overpaid for what he does but is he slowly trending to being like a somewhat acceptable nfl quarterback average yes still somewhat as he was towards the end of last year but still you know hilariously overpaid for what he's actually doing and chubb continues to be what this team needs to do to actually do it and so in these kind of conditions they're able to grind it out obviously the dog pound the fans were going absolutely crazy this was not a very fun place to be and everything just went their way and they they built on it and they took advantage but you know they're not going to have those advantages every week so we'll see where this cleveland team is and cincinnati just said you know, I think we've seen enough in previous years to trust that this is a team that can recover and get back on track and get back to what it's good at. Uh, but it might be a little bit slower than they'd like uh, getting back to where we expect. And obviously in a very competitive AFC, that may mean, you know, stuff like the number one seed may not be possible this year. Obviously it wouldn't be our week one preview unless we cover the big giant MC East game, Dallas at the Giants. Uh, we were expecting this to be a nice competitive match to see who's going to be in the driving seat to challenge the Eagles in the division. And uh, yeah, we didn't quite get what we were looking for. This Sunday night football was dominated by the Dallas defense and special teams, and they just never stopped 40 to nothing. Uh, this broke several records for uh, poor performances by a team. I think, think every any team had the collection of statistics that they had uh, within an entire season, let alone in a single game. So well done, Giants. You're setting records of a sort. Uh, the Dallas guys blocked a field goal. They had a touchdown, pick six. Uh, they were just absolutely harassing them. Uh, Danny Dimes is making mistakes left, right and center. Just didn't look like he did at the tail end of last year at all. Maybe he just got paid and now he's stopping being careful again. So he had 143 yards and two interceptions. Um, the defensive front from Dallas had seven sacks, 10 tackles for a loss. They held Saquon Barkley to 63 yards. Uh, like Dak Prescott really didn't have to do much in this game. He had 143 yards. Like Pollard had two touchdowns and 80 yards. CeeDee Lamb had 77 yards. But it didn't even really matter. Like This was just 
absolute domination from the defense and special teams and the giants were just left at a complete loss like it was silence in the stadium people going home early this was just as one side is as i've seen a match in ages um so maybe not as silent as it was for one moment on monday night football yeah that's true that's true (laughs) um but yeah no it was just oh god it was it was a hard watch a very 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 hard watch like i had to just kind of highlights and skip through bits just like oh yeah this is just just messy 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 football and it's funny to see because the giants team last year were kind of defined by not making mistakes just doing their job and maximizing what they could with what they had um, and this Dallas team just said, fuck this, we're coming out firing on all cylinders. Our defense is great. Our line is good. We will absolutely dominate you. And they did. Um, yeah, I would say Dallas are looking like the guys who might be able to challenge for that division title. And Giants are looking to just kind of go back to square one, like just reboot the, the, the thing again and just get back to what you were doing last year. Stop overthinking it or stop trying too many new things. Just try and get back, win a couple of games and get your heads back on square. Yeah, it, it's not a good sign when the commentators in the early early in the second quarter are making jokes about how much time they will have to discuss random things later in the game. Um, this game was, yeah, probably the most lopsided game in living memory. Uh, and in many ways, the, the scoreline just doesn't, doesn't even capture how dominant the Cowboys were over the, the Giants. Um, I'd like to think... At least from a Giants offense against Cowboys defense, that it was more about how good the Cowboys were than necessarily how bad the Giants were. This defense looks scary good. Um, this looks like Dan Quinn has got his pieces together. He's back in his comfort zone. He is weaving his magic, and he's got all his players doing exactly what he wants. And he's got he's got X factors like Micah Parsons, and he's got guys in the scheme, and he's got a line that can kill the other side. You know, on and on again. I mean, this defense, if they're as good as they looked this week, they are going to be very difficult to stop. And as a result, the Cowboys are going to be very difficult to stop because they don't even need an offense to be that good in order to win games with a defense that look that looks at this high a level. Um, true, true dom. It's it, it's difficult to think about a defense being this truly dominant. You kind of have to go back to some of the Ravens. Uh, teams from the early 2000s um, or, or maybe even the, 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 the Seahawks uh, at their peak. Um, offensively, I'm not quite sold in this offense just quite yet. Partly that's because they didn't really have an awful lot to do and maybe we haven't seen Dak Prescott be asked the questions that we know he didn't quite know how to answer last year. It certainly feels that they've taken a step back uh, in the post Moore era a lot more conservative take what's there don't push too hard and maybe that's just what they need to do right maybe Dak Prescott needs to be the guy who doesn't take risks he can he just needs to be a game manager he just needs to let Tony Pollard get his yards and just allow this this offense to, it's, in a certain sense this is, is in a way what the Cowboys model has always been right it's been Troy Aikman was not a spectacular quarterback he was a game manager that entire that that entire legendary Cowboys team was based around a really strong run game and a really strong defense and maybe that's what they have now and maybe that's all that they should be trying to push it but this idea that they can turn Dak Prescott into a superstar I think is part of the problem uh, and maybe they need to stake away from that so as long as the Cowboys stay to what their strengths are it looks like they could have a good shot at, at, at winning the NFC or certainly going deep 
in the playoffs. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how things are going. For the Giants, it kind of feels like last year was just weird, uh, you know, hallucination, and they've gone back to being the terrible Giants again. Um, really poor on both sides of the ball. They couldn't get anything going offensively. Partly that's because of how good the defense they were facing was, but partly because they just didn't seem to have any plans or ideas of what to do. Daniel Jones has, has gone back to his his turnover game again. You want to talk about Josh Allen reverting to type. This certainly was Danny Dimes reverting to type, making stupid mistakes all over the place, very poor decisions, etc., etc. It's not exactly what they want. There are... They, their O-line looks absolute garbage. Um, and that's definitely going to be a problem. If, if Danny Dimes is going to be under pressure all season, he's not going to make good decisions. And it just seems, as you said, Connor, that the Giants have taken a step away from what they were good at last year. Just having a game plan, seeing it out, and, and knowing what to do in every scenario. Maybe to a certain extent that teams have started to figure it out. It was quite a limited script, and now teams maybe know what to expect from the Giants. And certainly a team like the Cowboys, who plays them regularly, knows what to expect from them but we've got to see the an evolution of this team i don't think the giants are going to succeed doing what they did last year um and they've got to find that next step the question is with the personnel that they have and the deficiencies in talent maybe they don't know how to get there they certainly need to maybe use darren waller more he certainly was very underutilized in this game they, they need to find a way to make saquon sparkle again they need to find a way to get daniel jones to the good bits of his game not the bad bits um, so there's a lot of questions for the Giants coaching staff about how they solve the problems that are coming up. But for the Cowboys, this might be, this might actually be their year, scarily enough, if they can keep this up for, for 18 weeks plus playoffs. Yeah, like I think if you're a Giants fan, your hope is just this is, as you said, a really excellent Dallas defense that matches up very well with what they're trying to do. You could see in the preseason all the talk beforehand, like, the Giants want to use Darren Waller a lot and then use him on the slightly underneath part to open up the back end. But like Gilmore and Diggs are just an incredible duo of cornerbacks. I think they had Gilmore on Waller the entire game. So he was held to very little, I think like 40 yards, 50 yards, something like that. So like, look, they went in with their plan. Their plan didn't work well against his personnel. Maybe it'll work against a different defense because I do think you're right. I think this might be a proper top-end, top-end defense. Uh, and, well, there's, there's one or two others that will be in the conversation, but unfortunately their games were not so compelling. And as he said, look, all games are important to some games are less important. And we give those to Ronan because he loves the shitty games. Uh, so I'm going to hand off him and uh, give him the dump off. Ooh, try not to fumble it but anyway uh yeah welcome back to the dump off we're back for 2023 that means there's more mediocre to terrible games to quickly summarize so that all people and all teams feel like they're fairly represented on this podcast even though you're definitely not we're not going to be talking about let me see houston much probably uh tennessee definitely not you uh anyway moving on tampa bay at minnesota 20 to 17 uh, is this the year where the bizarro Viking situation occurs? Last year they win all their one-score games. This year they're going to lose all their one-score games. I hope so, because that would be hilarious. Uh, and also tragic for only one person. Was it Justin Jefferson who will enter uh, the Randy Moss, Adrian Peterson zone? Although he's obviously a better person than Adrian Peterson, uh, morally speaking. Uh, but yeah, look, they lost this game because Cousins fucked up. Hey, we're back to normal. Normal uh, services resumed. He had three turnovers two of which which did gave up points for Minnesota, one which set up points for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And despite his over 350 yards and two touchdowns, it just wasn't enough against the pretty middling Tampa Bay team, but maybe not as bad as we thought. Um, their D started well, uh, quite well. I think they held uh, 
that like, they didn't have any third down conversion snap away until quite far into this game. But once the dam broke, the dam broke quite badly. And Baker, to be fair to him, his best quality right now is his inherent disposability, uh, where effectively he's willing to just throw his body on the line. And that means you get first down conversions that a normal quarterback probably couldn't. 172 yards, two touchdowns, none of those back-breaking uh, uh, turnovers. But, you know, the reason why Baker's in this position because he got injured on these kind of uh, stupid decisions so we'll see how long this lasts but look Evans and Godwin chipped dip they're so good when the when the chips were down end of this game and the defense made some key plays they still got talent there to nick this win and they got those turnovers so look Minnesota they're a joke Tampa Bay they're a joke but you know we all thought they were jokes so it's okay that to be less of a joke next up Jacksonville Indianapolis 31 to 21 Jacksonville get it done versus a surprisingly competitive Indianapolis who look to be so I'm getting back to where we thought they might have been a couple of years ago. Lawrence was solid. He had two touchdowns and interception, uh, even though the OL still looks a little bit iffy. Ridley looks immediately like a huge acquisition for them, over 100 yards and a touchdown. Uh, that's really good to see. Uh, all the Christian Kirk owners will be annoyed because Zay Flowers is apparently wide receiver too there. But hey, Ridley looks good. Lawrence looks good. The defense is still a little bit questionable. Richardson, two touchdowns and interception, uh, around 250 yards. He has these moments where he looks like one of the best players uh, possible, like a huge magic athlete, great arm, great talent on the ground. Uh, but once you get him off his first read, he does look like a rookie and he does make some questionable decisions. The interception in particular was quite ugly and you even saw him try like the Jalen Hurts like uh, shove move, didn't work out. So there's kinks to work out, but there's enough there to be excited about this, except caution at the very end where he picked up an injury, uh, which doesn't sound like it's going to affect him uh, next week. But, you know, warning, maybe slide a little bit more Richardson, uh, so you might continue to provide some hope for this in the other team. But Jacksonville, best team in the AFC uh, side, and they get off on winning fashion against a division rival. Tennessee and New Orleans, uh, the most close game, but probably the least watchable game of the week, to be perfectly frank. Uh, New Orleans edged this just about. There was five turnovers in this game, three for Tennessee, two for New Orleans. And they punctuated just completely mixed offense. I'd say New Orleans were a little bit better. Carr had over 300 yards. He had a touchdown to an interception. But there were still so many highlights where he's just getting sacked, 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 sacked. And he just looks like the same completely unreliable Derek Carr that we saw with Las Vegas last year. But he, at least he shows the early uh, chemistry with Olave and Shahid who are both over 100 yards each. So there's enough there. But like it's enough to win the NFC side and they get knocked down in the wild card still. It, I don't feel like we're near off that point. As for Tennessee, Tannehill stunk the place up, showed little chemistry with Hopkins through three interceptions. They had a couple of nice like screen plays to Henry. That was pretty much it. It felt like their defense is really, really good, obviously under Vrabel, but that just means they're going to be in loads of games where it'd be just easier if you just went away and we didn't have to think about the game at all, Tennessee. Uh, we don't want to see you on red zone. We won't want to see you at all. Just go away, please. Next up, Arizona-Washington, 16-20. to It's very harsh to say that in week one, but it's true. 16-20 uh, uh, win for Washington. Very unconvincing win for Washington against obviously a very like just pieced together Arizona team. Um, they kind of came together in the second half. Their defense got a lot more pressure. They got a number of sacks against Dubs. And you saw Howell's gunslinger attitude mostly pay off late on in this game. But you saw also those uh, turnovers within this game from Howell. He's going to be fun and dumb, but that just means you just have another Taylor Heineke. Not really progress for Washington. Uh, definitely next year is where we might see something happen here. As for Arizona, like, look, the defense is better than expected, so at least you have something to like. You know, you had three turnovers, six sacks, six seconds for a loss. You know, that's something, right? Uh, and Dubs, you know, he's a guy thrown in here after two weeks. He had 132 yards and two interceptions. He didn't look the worst, but he looked like a guy in that situation. He, he definitely is that kind of journeyman quarterback tier. 
Next up, Vegas at Denver, 17 to 16. Yet another close but uh, barely relevant game. Uh, Lackluster game. Las Vegas were incredibly sloppy. They had 10 flags, including two fourth downs that they allowed Denver get for free based on flags. Like, you know, they also threw an interception, Jimmy G. Uh, like, Jimmy G was okay. Um, he's still a complete liability once he exits the pocket. He had, like, one really lucky duck pass um, uh, to Devontae Adams, which I was like, how was that not an interception? But he's good at what he does. But he, as I think, did you point out, Connor, last week, he in no way maximizes the value of Devontae Adams. He, he's treating, treating Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers as if they were the same player. They are obviously not. And I just don't want to see more Jacoby Myers type play over Devontae Adams. It's going to be such a waste of that player's yeah. kind of like tail end of his prime years. Like, just. And if Josh Jacobs is going to be bottled up because teams are going to focus on them, then it's going to be a long season, even if they do get some of these wins like this. As for Denver. Look, it looked like Peyton schemed up some nice easy throws for Russ, which, to be fair, he wasn't even making last year the easy throws. So that's good, but when asked to actually put the game somewhat on his back and actually do some of the things we expect Russ to do based on his time in Seattle, still doesn't exist. He was still, he just petered out as the game went on. And, you know, is Sean Payton really going to be able to keep this Russ experiment afloat right now, early goings? Not great, to be frank. Um, the defense is still solid, but they just look like the same problems they had last year, to be frank. Next up, Carolina-Atlanta, 10-24. Uh, this game was mostly close until uh, Atlanta got away at the end. Atlanta have a very specific formula, and it involves, like, ooh, we have too many running backs. Let's just keep using those. And all the people who went, oh, I picked Kyle Pitts and Drake London in their drafts are going to just cry for the rest of the season. Allegier, 94 yards and a touchdown, the running back. Uh, Bijan Robinson on his debut, running back, 83 yards and a touchdown. Ritter, 115 yards passing. Uh, so there's a very clear approach here because Pitts had two catches and London had zero catches. So it, it is what it is. It worked here, but I don't know. It doesn't really feel sustainable going forward. As for Carolina Young, the, the, the preseason issues with the offensive line were definitely here still. He showed flashes of the kind of uh, anticipation and kind of uh, quality uh, that we expect, but it's just a lot of muck going on as well. Uh, such a lack of weapons as well. He's had all these injuries. And Jesse Bates, who was picked up by Atlanta alongside a bunch of other free agents, was the star of the show. Uh, he had tr he had three turnovers against Carolina in this game. Uh, that already looks like a good investment based on that. And this Atlanta D might actually be a solid unit to complement. Like, it's just such an old-school-looking team. We'll, we'll see if that's enough over the course of the season. But it is, it's a legitimate way to play football, I suppose. Next up, Green Bay at Chicago, 38-20. New management, same owner. Green Bay still own Chicago Field. Um, unfortunately for all you Bears fans who thought this was a new era, Love looked pretty comfortable, looked pretty clean. 245 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Aaron Jones was the star of the show, 127 yards, two touchdowns. A lot of that through the pass game. And uh, albeit he was actually used kind of sparingly early on, which is weird, but he looked really good when he was used. Um, so everything looking great for Green Bay. On the other hand, Fields just looks like the exact same problems as last year. You didn't really have as didn't have like he had 55, 66 yards rushing, so you didn't even have those like stupid explosive plays. Obviously, Green Bay were ready for that after last year, and you're just going. Oof, this does not look good. This looks like the same problems, and their defense is genuinely just terrible. Um, so big issues for Chicago. The, the the push may not be on till next season, and of course with Fields' uh, approach to the game and him scrambling and panicking all the time, you'd worry about injury happening super rapidly later. Next up, Rams at Seattle, 32-13. Seattle basically have a second half meltdown. They were up by six at the half, but they literally did nothing in the second half. Now look, the two offensive tackles got injured. We talked about before, but. 
even given that against the Rams team just pieced together from a bunch of rookies and other people just very disappointing Stafford looked back to his best 335 yards he was just dicing the Seattle defense throughout this game and he was doing that without Cooper Cup as we know he was doing it with Nakua and Atwell uh, just you know no-name guys who really showed up and you know this kind of like this Rams team almost reminds me of those very early Pete Carroll Seattle teams young green teams loads of young players just random guys falling out playing for their you know playing for the supper and just you know Seattle in the second half just took a team that didn't know what hit them and you had DK who had a touchdown in the first half giving away taunting penalties by the end because they were just so frustrated Gino just looked completely lost in the second half after the tackles went out and they just didn't know what to do the deep ball being schemed out may be an issue but look as we saw you know, we know Sean McVay has Pete Carroll's number and Shane Waldron's number so hopefully this won't be a, an every week thing as a Seattle fan uh, next up, San Francisco at Pittsburgh, 30-7. San Francisco just dominated this game early. It wasn't even a contest. Purdy was dicing them up um, with the help of CMC, who went for nearly 170 yards and a touchdown. Ayuk for 130 yards and two touchdowns. And they kind of you know, slowed down a little bit in the second half and let Pittsburgh you know, fumble around for a bit. You know, This offense that you guys, to be fair, have been saying is just, you, know, you don't have no trust in. So it came to being. It's obviously a really good defense, to be fair. Um, two, you know, two interceptions thrown by Pickett just did not look at the races. Neither Warren or Harris made an impact on the ground. There was, uh, you um, know, there was, there was a pretty bad tackle on Pickett, <clears throat> I think, on the first or second drive. Um, I only kind of saw it after the game. So I was watching the game, but didn't see it in real time. But uh, he got kind of flung around and to the back of his head went slammed into the ground. So I would wonder, given how bad some of the decision making was, if he had actually taken a serious knock to the head that just got missed by medical staff. I would actually keep an eye out for that possibly coming up in the news over the week. Well, ho hopefully. Um, uh, you know, he's obviously had issues with helmets in the past. Well, he had issues with helmets in the past. In the with quarterbacks in Pittsburgh. Um, anyway, uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, like so Pittsburgh just looked like a team that's ready, not really ready to go. I'm sure they'll get better as the year goes on because of the team they are and obviously Tomlin, but San Francisco just looked ready to play playoff football. Unfortunately, there's still multiple months before then for them. Uh, see how they get on between now and then. And finally, Houston at Baltimore, 9-25. to uh, Baltimore obviously dealing with a bunch of injuries that came through this game. They have teething issues with the offense, but they just look like a better team than obviously just a very uh, stuck together Houston team. Uh, Lamar didn't really look comfortable in this system, but they do have the, the positives that the run game looks to be looking still okay. And the uh, rookie wide receiver Zay Flowers looked really good already, 70 yards, uh, and some really kind of impressive looking plays uh, using the eye test. As for Houston, Stroud up and down, not terrible, not, not bad, just kind of like a you know, solid rookie outing, um, but there's just a complete lack of experience in this team. They were taking multiple timeouts early in the first half, uh, and the defense, it looks better than it was last year, but that's, like, better than terrible, um, and I'm sure it will grow. Like, this is a team that will grow throughout the year, but Baltimore ready to win now, but given all the injuries and given these seating issues, I would, I would have concerns about how soon you might see them turn into a genuine force. So that's the dump off for week one, and uh, many more terrible games to come. Uh, uh, but for now, let's move on to week two. Okay, so first off, let's have a look at Thursday Night Football. Minnesota at Philadelphia. We've gone for Philly across the board here. Minnesota, as we said, uh, weren't getting the kind of rub of the green last week, and they kind of lost their one-score game. Philly didn't look world beaters coming out of the gate, uh, but, you know, that could be due to the defense that Belichick was bringing up against them. Uh, Cousins, he's going to be up against a relatively tough defense here in Philadelphia, and you'd hope slightly better weather prevails that they'll be able to get more pressure than they did on the New England team. I, I've got to have to side Philly in this one just because I think 
Hertz is still good. I think probably a combo of weather and Bill Belichick's excellent defensive scheming was why they slowed down. And I just don't, I still, even when they were winning all their one score games, I didn't trust Minnesota and I trust them even less now. Oh yeah. No, you can't trust Minnesota. And certainly if they've lost their, they're lost their, their magic hoodoo, then you can't trust them at all. Uh, this Philly D is probably still, even though it's maybe taking a step back from last year, still good enough to, to crush them. And I guess we're going to figure out how good this, Eagles offense is when they're facing not Bill Belichick uh, this Minnesota defense is going to struggle to stop them I think and we're going to get a sense of how good Eagles are I, the Eagles should win this one by uh, by a comfortable margin I would think yeah I think the big thing for Minnesota is you need to have a clean game the disaster last week all those turnovers allowing a mediocre offense to run all over them and to play all around them like you know I think you just need to see them get back their feet back under them and show progress uh, but Philly obviously are such a more talented team, you can't really pick against them. But, you know, there was a chimp chink in the armor for Philly last week against Belichick. Uh, we'll see if other people can start to exploit it. Obviously, uh, Brian Flores, the new Minnesota defense, is from the New England tree. So I'm sure he'll be studying tape all this week. Yeah, and also important to keep an eye on what the running back rotation is going to look like in that game for Philly as well. Uh, next up, Chargers at Tennessee. We've gone for Chargers across the board, Sean. Yeah, this is going to be a weirdly lopsided game. You're going to get a really good Chargers offense against either the Vrabel defense of Tennessee, which is going to be interesting, exciting, bit of a chess match thing going on, Kellen Moore versus Mike Vrabel. And the other side, you're going to get the Tannehill-led Titans against the really awful Chargers defense. So, I mean, the question ultimately is, you know, can Tennessee score enough points against a terrible defense to keep pace with the Herbert-led Offense, I, I expect, even without Eckler, the, the Chargers are going to score a fair few points. Um, and then it's just a question of can Tannehill, Henry Ball, or whatever you want to call it, work? And I just can't see it happening. I think the Chargers are just, they just, there's just nothing to this Tennessee side other than a good coaching on the defensive side. Whereas at least the Chargers have talent uh, in the important places, and therefore I think they win. Yeah, uh, Seattle at Detroit. We've gone for Detroit across the board. Obviously, we said Geno Smith looked a little bit out of it in the second half of the last game, and this is a Detroit defensive line that is more terrifying. We discussed Agent Hutchinson earlier, and this is a uh, this is a Seattle team that's missing, I think, both tackles at this stage. So uh, it's going to be an interesting one. Seattle's going to want to try and you know slow the game down, uh, like. I just don't know. This Seattle defense didn't look like it was gelling fantastically well last week. Obviously, given you know, the Rams put up that many points on them, and this is a Detroit team I really like. So we've gone Detroit across the board. What do you guys think? Yeah, like look, I think you have to favor Detroit in this game. Obviously, given what they did in Week One, given the talent differential they have, um, like Seattle, really bad Week One, getting blown out by a Rams team. Obviously, no one was expecting to do much. Uh, their defense looked really safe, as you like, kind of boring. I would wonder if they'll try to be a bit more aggressive in this game and you wonder how much impact it will have given you know, how good that offensive line is. And then can Detroit do what the Rams did and take away those explosive plays, which are the bread and butter of this uh, team for Seattle? If like Tyler Lockett and DK McAvoy are making big plays, can this team really grind it out? So uh, I think Detroit are the better team. They will probably win this, but I think for Seattle... The, the very least you would want to see is at least see them things that they've been good at last year, see some of that come back because they literally just weren't there last, last week. Yeah, I think the challenge for the Seahawks here is to show more than week one um, because I think the Lions look too good on both sides of the ball to really challenge them 
to be to be challenged. But I think if the Seahawks put up a good, the Seahawks have have got a good team spirit and, and heart. And Gino can be, he's kind of a leader of men in terms of the momentum and stuff. So just to get them a good performance, I think is what you want to see out of Seahawks. But the Lions should this should be where we really get to see how good the Lions are this year. Yep. Next up is Ronan's pick of the week: Kansas City at Jacksonville. We've gone for Kansas City across the board, Ronan. Yeah, it's kind of the chalky pick uh, for for pick of the week, but you know, Patrick Mahomes is back, and this time he has Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones, and now he's back for revenge against a completely different team. But like, yeah, it's kind of obviously two teams that we expect to be in the playoffs, two teams that we're both excited to see play. Uh, for Kansas City, obviously disappointing to lose in week one, but you saw that Patrick Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the league. He just needs to have receivers who don't drop the ball um, or don't deflect the ball into the opposition's uh, hands. That would be just a start. And obviously Travis Kelsey, pretty good at not doing those things. So if he comes back, that's a huge plus. But even if he isn't there, which I think is on the he's, I think he's expected to be back, I think you will see the receivers getting better because they're going to get a bollocking and they have some of the best coaches in the league um, to kind of whip them into shape as quickly as possible um, and the defense with Chris Jones back and the defense to be fair held up very well against Detroit despite the power of the defensive line and so you get Chris Jones back and then suddenly you know maybe there's something brewing here for Spags and they can really get after uh, Jared Goff but sorry get after Trevor Lawrence um, and obviously much less impressive offensive line for Jacksonville uh, they're still missing Cam Robinson who's suspended right now the Indianapolis defense was definitely able to get some pressure on Lawrence last week. And so you would wonder then, will the defense actually be a key factor in KC if they win this game, which is what we've all predicted uh, for this week. But Jacksonville, obviously, they're trying to join the top table of the AFC, trying to beat teams like the Chiefs is how you prove that to us and to everyone else in the NFL. And to do that, um, you're going to need to see Lawrence maybe take a little bit step more than he had last week, kind of do those elite things on a consistent basis, you know, the kind of things that Mahomes does. And you would probably like to see the run game be a little bit more efficient and not fumble the ball as much um, as you saw against Indianapolis. And I think the defense is still, you know, it was not a terrible performance against Indianapolis, but you know, that's a huge step down from doing the Chiefs defense. I still would have big concerns about this defense until it proves otherwise. And therefore, you know, until that's proven, I think we have to go with the proven quality of the Kansas City Chiefs and say that they will their favorites for this game. But Jacksonville, we know they're a good team. They're a young team. They're a talented team. This is a big challenge for them. Let's see if they can live up to it early in the season and set a statement for the rest of the year. Yeah, Chicago at Tampa Bay. Me and Ronan have gone for Chicago. Sean's gone for Tampa Bay. Uh, look, Baker got the win last week. Tampa Bay looked maybe better than we thought they were, but Chicago, you know, while underwhelming against Green Bay, I don't put it past that Fields is just not going to be passing this year. I think they're still going to try and get back into that uh, and they might have a little bit more success against a team that doesn't know them quite as well. Chicago's defense didn't look great last week. Hopefully they can bet in and be a little bit better. There's good weapons on this Tampa Bay team, but I, I, you still got to ask questions about Baker. Like They won the game, but he had some decision-making mistakes. I That's why I'm citing Chicago, but I could see... With this Chicago defense, if it doesn't kind of turn it around at all, that you know you've got you've got your Evans, you've got your Godwin, you've got your weapons there that have height and size and speed. Like it could it could go badly quite quickly. It's more that against this Tampa Bay defense, I could see Chicago getting a bit more of their old offensive spark going. We might see more of the slightly longer runs, but uh, it should make for an entertaining, I think, if not. Uh, 
technically fantastic game. Uh, Green Bay at Atlanta. We've all gone for Green Bay across the board. We're buying in on this love uh, boat, I suppose. Uh, Atlanta <laughs> looked good, but were a little bit one-dimensional. So we'll have to see if they can do something more than just uh, <laughs> just run the ball 45 times. And uh, it'd be intriguing to see as well, because Love looked good last week and he didn't have a full complement of wide receivers. I think they're expecting to have them back this week. So it should be quite an exciting game. Yeah, like Green Bay kind of looked like the standard level of, you know, keep it simple, make your life, quarterback's life easy, you know, kind of stuff. And just like, you know, do the play action, get the ball out quickly, run the ball well. And then you have Atlanta or just like, the, the year is 1972. The forward pass was a mistake and we're just going to ignore that that ever happened. Uh, Desmond Ritter, you're there. Just try not to die. Uh, and, you know, Bijan Robinson and T- Tyler Legier and Cordell Patterson might be back. You do all the work. And it worked against Carolina, but I have quite a big question about Carolina at this point. Uh, Green Bay showed being a solid team last week. They got a good win against Chicago. You will wonder, like, is this Atlanta game plan is it sustainable over the course of a season? I think this is a really good test of two teams that are kind of in that middling zone. And I think we'll have a really much better idea of where these two teams actually are after this game. Yeah. Why would you draft a tight end and a wide receiver in the last few years in the top 10 and then not throw the ball to them? I just... Because Arthur Smith hates fantasy. (laughs) Because that's how you get them. You zig when they expect you to zag. That's a little too much zigging, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, the Falcons need to figure out what kind of team they are and play to their strengths a little bit there. Um, and may, I mean, they, they should be better than they looked in week one. With Green Bay, the question was always the transition between Rodgers and, and Love, and people didn't think too highly of Jordan Love because he hadn't really proven much so far. But he's as good as he looks in week one. The Packers have a solid shot of winning the division and certainly should be better than the Falcons. Yeah. Uh, next up, Indianapolis at Houston. We've gone for Indy across the board, Ronan. Yeah, like, look, this is a game that has value in the future uh, as you have two rookie quarterbacks, uh, Anthony Richardson and CJ Stroud going against each other. Uh, I think Richardson probably had the more promising week one, uh, but then he did pick up that injury. So you, you wonder about his, his way of doing things is sustainable. Houston are just a, such a young team that they look very inexperienced and, and the Colts have a bit more residual talent left over that you probably give them the edge here. Uh, and both defenses were actually a little bit better than you would expect, but that's because both were so awful last year. So look, it's two teams finding themselves. Maybe some of these will be interested by the end of the year, but for now we'll leave them to figure themselves out and we'll come back at the end of the year and, and think about them. But for now they could do their thing, hopefully do an entertaining enough game and we'll move on from there. But Colts favorites for now, but it's pretty close. Yeah. Vegas at Buffalo. We've gone for Buffalo across the board. Uh, obviously they're hoping to get back on track after that bit of a snafu on Monday night football. Vegas, like the question mark is always going to be, as you said, J- Jimmy G doesn't really seem to be the right quarterback for the type of weapons they have around him. The offense wasn't overly exciting. They're traveling to Buffalo and Buffalo are going to have a chip in their shoulder after that week one loss. So I, I got to gotta favor Buffalo here. But, you know, if, if they lose this, they're starting off down a bit of a dark road. Yeah, well, you have to imagine the Bills are, just in terms of sheer talent, better than the, the Raiders. I mean, the Raiders are a very middling team with bizarrely good uh, skilled pos- players in certain skilled positions, but a quarterback who can't make the most of it. Like, like it doesn't feel like the Raiders have 
joined the pieces of who they are at all. The Bills are just on a higher a higher level. The Bills are trying to make a Super Bowl here, and albeit they may not be at that level, they're certainly better than at the average team. I mean, the, the, the Raiders are average, right? And, and the Bills have to be better than average. And if they're not, if they lose this one, then we can definitely talk about crisis for the Bills because just on talent alone, they should win this one comfortably. Yeah, unless Max Crosby plays out of his mind uh, and really disrupts this Buffalo offense enough to kind of get them off their marks, then it's just very hard to see the Vegas Raiders being good enough to win. They just feel like a team that's pootering around doing their own thing and they're going to beat some of the average teams like Denver and lesser teams and then they're going to lose to teams like Buffalo and that's just who they've been for multiple years and still feels like who they are. Yeah, next up is my pick of the week, Baltimore at Cincinnati. Me and Sean have gone for Baltimore. Ronan has gone for Cincinnati. Uh this is going to be an interesting one following on from the absolute horrors that was Cincinnati's opener. Uh, they're going to try and get it back on track, but like the question mark is how much of that is fixable within a week or is it just, just a, just a snafu and they'll be able to turn it around. So I'm intrigued to see that. That's a compelling storyline for me. Baltimore looked okay, but not entirely comfortable in their new offense. They've got some weapons. Obviously, they've got quite a number of injuries coming into this game as well, but they do have explosiveness. They found something quite special, I think, in Zay Flowers. He looked excellent in the game. So, like, I think it could be fun. The, the big problem is going to be this Baltimore defense, which is fine, but not quite the heights that it used to be going up against what is an incredible group of pass catchers in Cincinnati. So provided that this injury for Burrow doesn't kind of linger on into here and he's kind of a bit right now, having gotten back to practice and spending a week with the guys and getting his mind right, this should be a close game. It should be a very, very exciting game. And because it's a divisional game, it's going to be a lot on the line early on with both of these teams having just paid their quarterbacks and wanting to justify it. And the best way to do that is by beating your divisional rival who also just paid for a quarterback. Um, yeah, I, I think it'll be an exciting one to watch. Uh, Sean, we've got the Giants taking on the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, God, a game this bad already this season. Uh, yeah. I've gone for Arizona, and you guys have gone for the Giants. Yeah, it certainly... Week one has certainly destroyed any love we might or interest we might have in seeing this game because the Cardinals may be slightly better than we thought they were. Certainly their defense seems to have a little bit about them. Um, and the Giants, as, as I talked about in the reviews, are really seem to completely lost their way and their identity. They're not quite sure how to make that step up uh, from last season's interestingness to something better. I, I think you can't throw it all out in one week. I, 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 the Cardinals are bad. They're very obviously tanking just because they've got a. They can, they can cause some problems for Sam Howell. Doesn't necessarily make them a good team. Whereas I think you've got to trust that the Giants have a good coach in Dayball and they, they had a, you know, they've got a good system and they know how to problem solve. They'll come back with a game plan that is better than the one against the Cowboys. And that will be enough for them to see over the Cardinals. The, the Giants are very good at beating bad teams, or at least the Dayball Giants are very good at beating bad teams. And if nothing else, the Arizona Cardinals are certainly a bad team. Ah, yes, but I think they are a bad team trying to tank, which means they will fail to tank. Uh, <laughs> next up, we have the Jets at Dallas. This would have been a higher-rated game had the injuries not happened. Uh, Dallas's defense looks incredibly good. They have good personnel to match up with this Jets team. We've got Dallas across the board in this one. And unfortunately now we've got Wilson under center. He wasn't expected to be playing. He'll have a week to get himself ready in. Um, I 
struggle to see how the Jets are going to get the ball moving in this one. Maybe maybe they can figure something out, but like this is a top-end defense. But equally, the Jets have a very good defense. Dak didn't have to do much. The running game didn't have to do much at all last week. So this will be a proper test for them. Uh, I think they will... You know, they've got plenty of weapons. I think they'll be okay here, particularly given just the likelihood of Wilson to make a couple of mistakes in the game. But uh, yeah, like this is this is going to be a great defensive game. I'm intrigued to see what the offenses are going to look like. Yeah, there's definitely a world where Dallas just win this game pretty easily. But there's also like a fuck up world where both teams are just like, who fucks up the least? And even on that basis, Zach Wilson is more of a fuck up than Dak. But Dak did throw the most interceptions last year, so he's certainly not uh, out of the uh, fuck up derby, as it were. This game is going to end like nine six, um, because the question I have is, how are the Jets going to score any points? Just how, unless their defense literally starts scoring points from pick sixes and such like, I, I just can't see the Jets scoring any points. I think uh, Brees Hall going will or certainly something score maybe. Some yeah. points. Brees Hall, he, he good. Brees Hall, that's probably what it's like. <laughs> it's all analysis. I, so I mean, I do hope. think the Jets, if they, they could build a decent team around their running game, they actually could do quite well this season. But but uh, as Fitz said about the Falcons, the, you can't win in the NFL with a, just a running game. And Zach Wilson's not good enough. And certainly not against the Cowboys' defense is good. Yeah, uh, we've got next up Washington at Denver. Me and Sean have gone for Washington. Roan has gone for Denver. Uh, Howell looked a little bit better than maybe we were expecting going into it, but this is a fairly solid Denver defense that he's going to be playing against. Russell looked a little bit better last week, but didn't really have to do a huge amount in it. Um, like there's neither neither of these teams has a complete either side of the ball. They've all got bits and pieces that'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing the Washington defensive line going up against Russell because he doesn't seem to have the movement that he used to have, but their line has looked a little bit better. Um, from the Denver side, it's to see what kind of weapons they can get going and if this Washington secondary can do anything. So yeah, like it'll be a bit, a bit of a boring game, but I think this is the right kind of level to pitch to see who we should be considering as potentially pushing upwards and pushing downwards. Uh, we've got San Francisco at the Rams. We've gone for the 49ers across the board. I know they were in the dump off there, but my God, did they look good last week. Um, their offense looked incredible. Christian McCaffrey looked fantastic. Uh, yeah, like Brad Nayuk was just having himself a time. Uh, it seems that the stories about him and Purdy getting along well during the preseason were very much true and their defense was just clamped down unstoppable the rams were way better this week than we expected them to look like but i don't know how much of that is purely them and how much of them is is a uh, is a seattle collapse so we need to see what this rams offense looks like and whether they can get the same kind of performances out of their you know rookie and second year wide receivers that they're running out there versus what is an incredibly strong defense in san fran yeah, I just want to take the credit and say that I called it. I said that the Niners would be this good. I said Christian McCaffrey would be this good. I know, good. and you were definitely the lone voice in the wilderness saying San Francisco were going to be good this year. I was saying it the year. loudest. I was saying it the loudest. <laughs> and you, were, you were relatively high in the Rams, right? So you were also right in that. Yeah. Although he did, he did then drop off that on his... Uh... Yeah, well, that's our fault. We, 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 we bullied him, Connor. <laughs> we have to look in the mirror. Uh, we we apologise, Sean, for now. Of course, I don't you know, know. I still yeah, think the season terrible. when they have like three wins, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll take it back. Uh, next uh, up, we have uh, Sean's pick of the week, Miami at New England. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a really interesting game because I think it'll tell us a lot about these two teams and how good slash bad they may be. 
obviously the Dolphins look like they have the you know a, a more polished version of the same offense that they had last year, which is a little bit one dimensional, but by God that one dimension is really really good. And we have a Pats team which seems to have an offense which functions slightly better than last year, and a defense that looks like it's another Belichick master creation. So I'm going to be interested to see how this. How does Tua deal with the Belichick scheming, and and how does Belichick can Belichick do the thing where you take away your, your opponent's best weapon? Do they they clamp down on Tyreek Hill and Waddle, and do they force Tua to win other some other way? And can Tua do that? I think that'll be a really interesting tactical battle going on there. And the other side, we'll get to see if this Dolphins how good this Dolphins defense actually is against someone less impressive than Justin Herbert. And we'll get to see if this functional if unspectacular pats defense pats offense sorry is good enough to to you know pull this team uh on the back of of what is a very good defense so i both you guys have gone for miami i think that's a sensible choice i think they're probably the more uh talented team but i just i just have a feeling i think belichick's going to do some shit and i'm going to go for the pats more out of hope than expectation, but I I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with this defense uh, against against the two led offense because I think he's going to be cause lots of problems. Yeah, yeah and well, don't forget like Vic Fangio's defense is all about stopping explosive plays and it's a little less uh, aggressive in terms of stopping the run. New England are one of the few teams like explosive plays. But what are those? Uh, <laughs> we're, we're okay just passing the ball five yards every single time. And uh, Romano Stevenson wasn't great last week, but he was dealing with an illness. If he's fully healthy, then you might see the, the full Ram uh, back in power. Yeah. Next up, Sean. Or sorry, next up, we've got double Monday night footballs. Uh, so we've got New Orleans at Carolina up first. Uh, Ronan, tell us a little bit about this. Me and you have gone for Carolina and Sean's gone for Nolan's. Yeah, it's prime time. It's divisional football. Oh, it's the it's the NFC South. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I suppose that's still interesting. Uh, not really. Unfortunately, both these teams uh, are not that great to watch. Carolina, obviously, at a very early stage of their development, young, showing sparks of interesting play, but behind in a very very tough situation with a bunch of wide receivers injured and a, a questionable OL. Uh, both the defenses are solid, so we'll see if Derek Carr can do more of the good things he did last week and lessen the dumb, stupid things. Uh, but like, look, I think New Orleans—they look good enough to potentially win this division, but that's literally the the height of their possible achievements, uh, and it's not something I'm particularly interested to see for a team that's basically at the dog end of of its current. Um, generation so look i think i pick carolina here more that I, I have more interest in this team going forward but uh, new orleans you know I, I wouldn't have any issue with picking them like sean has uh connor me for carolina sean for for new orleans yeah and our last monday night football cleveland at pittsburgh we gone for pittsburgh across the board here uh obviously the cleveland d looked very good last week but you know we're kind of questioning whether that's entirely them or also the bengals collapsing Pickett and them didn't look great against San Francisco, but that was against a top, top, top defense. So hopefully they can get something going a little bit more. Uh, question marks here are going to be like, can Cleveland, you know, do a little bit more on the offense this time around? They're going to be pressured by TJ Watt and stuff a lot more than they were pressured in the previous game. We've gone Pittsburgh across the board here. What are your guys' thoughts? Well, we yeah, don't like just, Cleveland. Well, so. Yeah, we hate <laughs> Cleveland and we don't want them to win. And uh, the Pittsburgh defense is quite good, even if their offense isn't all that good. We can trust in their defense to clamp down on Watson. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's oh the really double Monday Night Football, and they're both very un, unwatchable games in general. 
this one might be slightly higher quality, but I think it's going to be quite defensive and low scoring. So I'm sure yeah. Joe Book and Troy Aikman are going to love that. Yeah, it's a game that, that doesn't really get the, the juices going uh, yet. It's a game where you'd expect both defenses to have the, the upper hand and lots of sacks for TJ Watt against obviously still a fairly skittish Deshaun Watson. And then the Cleveland defense. I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how good this Cleveland defense is if the conditions in Pittsburgh are, are closer to being normal, like dry, dry, relatively conditions. Because uh, obviously based on what they did in week one, Maybe there's something really exciting brewing here under Jim Schwartz, but maybe that was just you know taking advantage of, of tough weather and, and a slightly still injured quarterback. Uh, though against Pickett, you're not really have that much fear in the first place either. Yeah, sure. Look, we'll see. We'll see. And that'll wrap up our previews for week two. Uh, any crack with yourself for the weekend? No, it's going to be fairly quiet. Uh, my wife is on call two two days of the three, so I'm going to be taking care of the dog and yeah, minding the house. Uh, kind of a quiet weekend. I've got it. We're actually going on holiday in the week after that. So, or not well, the weekend after that is the beginning of holiday. So, this is Very good. one quiet weekend we're going to get for a while. That'll be yeah, nothing that's... too much for me. Uh, probably try and catch the rugby. Uh, Ireland are playing Tonga. So, another game they were expecting to win. But uh, we're all building up to the big South Africa game in, in, in two weeks' time. Mm. Uh, other than that, uh, keep tipping away at the work and. Uh, you know, if the weather holds up, maybe enjoy a bit of that. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, I think I've got a... Uh, playing with the Dublin City Wolves on Saturday. We've got two games coming up, so that'll be uh, that'll be good fun. Hopefully the weather will have turned a corner at that stage because uh, it's now not quite as pissing rain, so hopefully it's not... I don't want it as hot as it was the weekend just gone, but I don't want it as wet as the last two days have been. So uh, somewhere in the middle would be nice. Somewhere in the middle would be nice. <laughs> Give us some nice autumn weather now that it is right. mid-September. Down down, Goldilocks. <laughs> uh, but no, other than that, nothing too major planned now myself. A uh, few bits to do around the house. We uh, Very interesting gardening news. We put up some trellises and some climbers there. So uh, hopefully they will take and we might put a, put a tree in this weekend if we can pick out the right one. So, uh, yeah, that's how wild and crazy and exciting my life is. Uh, so I suppose that will wrap us up for this week. So it's uh, bye from myself. Bye from Fitz. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. This has been All Four Quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.